0: Welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are catching up fully on reviews this week. We are, uh, as promised I should say, we are going to be looking at books released on the 3rd of March and also on the 10th of March. So recording this on the 16th, getting it out just before a new comic book day hits tomorrow with the 17th. So your host as always, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes. Delighted to be joined by my Marvel cohort in arms, Mr. Miller. How are you, Keith? I'm very good, Alan. I'm not... I'm not bad at all, given
1: the the situation that we continue to find ourselves in. Uh, things could be worse. Things could be worse. I've got uh, I've got uh, a week off ahead of me, uh, which I'm super excited about. Uh, I've got uh, a pile of comics coming to me uh, for this week, courtesy of of Stephen. I'm in a slightly different location this week, uh, up in my up in my home place, uh, and Stephen. Lives in a, in, a, in a nearby town, was, was, was in Belfast today and, and was able to, to pick up my, my stuff. I was terrified of getting behind schedule and not being able to, to, to keep our listeners up to date with our, uh, our weekly reviews, but, uh, but uh, Stephen has, has come to the rescue. Um, I'm surrounded by comic books uh, already. I brought, uh, I brought uh, a trade paperback that I got last week uh, with me. Uh, to make sure I had it, and I'm also uh, doing pretty well with my my Nightwing omnibus, that that beautiful giant that I'm working my way through from the New
0: Fifty Two run, right? Yeah, it was uh, the Prince of Gotham, wasn't it? I mm, that's it was the very
1: one. Yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm loving that stuff, but uh, I'm also really really looking forward to uh, to the new Nightwing uh, soft reboot. I guess that uh, will be will be coming up uh, in my in my pull list this week. So yeah, what about yourself, Here are things? I mean, I know the store is not operating currently, but I know you're busy as hell with a,
0: the website and keeping things uh, yeah, keeping things stocked. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, I've started a new thing on the website where I upload 20 new back issues a day. So sometimes you sit down at the computer and you'll sit there for three, four, five hours and upload 200 titles. And to be honest, it just bores the life out of you. Data entry is not my strong point. <laughs> so instead of doing that once a week or once every two weeks, I've decided now 25 minutes a day, 20 new titles go up there, but also all the new releases go on there on a Tuesday as well. So for example, as I was saying, we're recording this Tuesday night, all the releases are already on the website, ready to go. But yeah, there was a little bit of progress today. There's the potential to open for a click and collect scenario uh, in the middle of April. Uh, if if things continue the way they are, we will you know cross our fingers and see. And certainly, if that does become apparent, we'll announce more details on that. But yeah, well, I mean, news-wise, there's we're not really an awful lot of next last sort of week or two that has you know caught our eye, so to speak. You know, there's a lot of movie stuff, Oscars. Meh, don't really care. I don't think either of us massively just, care about that. I um, mean,
1: I would like to see, I would like to see Chadwick get his his best actor Oscar for for Mary and his Black Bottom, which I don't know if you've seen yet.
0: No, this is the other thing about the Oscars this year. Like I'm a big movie buff as well, and normally the Oscars every year I'll sit up late and watch them and all the rest. But the lack of being able to go to the cinema and you know prestige movies lose a lose a bit of their prestige for me if they're just on Netflix or Amazon Prime. So I like the I'm a big lover of the cinematic experience. So uh, I think Chadwick will probably win that though. I mean they always they always tend to be very good at awarding posthumous Oscars. You know, uh-huh, obviously uh-huh. they did it with Heath Ledger, with the Joker. They've done it with a few other ones as well. Not, not to say that the performances don't warrant it, but it maybe gives it that little extra push mm-hmm. as well. Just to, I guess to, to with young actors
1: like that, who, who are taken too soon, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be the last chance. Yeah. They'll not, they'll not have a chance to, 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 to grow their performance and, and do something even more Oscar worthy, you know, yeah. uh, so it's, but, but I mean, I, my really black bottom was, was some show It's uh, definitely worth a, worth a look. I'm also interested in Nomadland
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and getting a look at that and The Father, uh, Anthony Hopkins, whenever it comes out. But other than that, everything else is a bit, as you say, meh.
2: Yeah.
0: I
1: mean, and, and I mean, I, I don't put a lot of stock in the award shows anyway, you know, there's, but they're they're calling this the most, the, the, well, the BBC were calling it, you know, the most diverse Oscars of all time, but hell, they've, they've really, uh, they really they <laughs> couldn't get less diverse, could it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a, a, a road we're not going to go down right now, but what we will do instead is look at a couple of things that we are looking forward to coming out over the next couple of weeks, so uh, Keith very kindly, a long time ago, actually I think we, were, <laughs> we just started the first lockdown, so it gives you an idea of how long I've had this and how Back guilty I feel. Back in the I mists feel. of time. Back in the mists of time now. <laughs> that was... That was the second edge of Coffee and Heroes. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And it was really interesting because what I'm talking about here is Invincible. So uh, Robert Kirkman, originally drawn by Corey Walker, but then Ran Otley took over and, you know, very much cemented his place there. But it was really funny because I was starting to read it again two nights ago and Vicky turned to me and was like, are you just feeling guilty because Keith read all of Chew and you still haven't even touched uh invincible so i hate having people's stuff but obviously the comic industry is so relentless not one person who i've borrowed off has ever said like are you done with that are you done with that they're all very good about it but i hate having people's stuff i feel so guilty about it so you don't
1: have to worry about that at
0: all i know where you live well it's okay because i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna steal number two off you very soon because it is pretty fantastic uh i'm about 36 issues in over the last couple of nights i've even avoided not avoided, but uh, I've even put single issues to the bottom of the pile for now, and uh, really, really digging it. Just lots of humor, lots of hard, good family drama at the middle of it as well. Uh, you know, it's very much a coming-of-age tale as well. There's just loads to really enjoy about it, and the imagination is second to none in there.
1: Should we, uh, should we resolve to maybe do a wee book club in the
0: first twelve issues or something? I could definitely get on board with that, especially because. I know you were eager for me to read at least the first 12 because hmm. there is a, an animated show coming soon through Amazon Prime. Great voice cast. Basically, if they were in The Walking Dead, they've got a part in this, but there's loads of other voices uh, of actors you'll recognize. But there is a pretty big twist, 12 issues in, that just turns the entire story on its head for, I would imagine, the, the duration of the runs. So... Well, that's and
1: that's a wee bit of a link, isn't it? Stephen Young, who plays Glenn in The Walking Dead mm-hmm. TV show uh is going to be voicing Mark Mark Grayson, uh, yeah. invincible and in, uh and uh, Mark Grayson and in, in the TV show and he is also up for an Oscar for best actor I
0: believe See, it all links together you'd Boom. think you'd think we planned this thing so you you, <laughs> you certainly wouldn't think we're roddy winging at McCanson at here I tell you but yeah the TV show of it uh, kicks off on Friday week so it's going to be kicking off on the 26th of March so Friday is officially going to become an, just like every other night of the week, I suppose another Geek Night. So you're gonna have Falcon Winter Soldier kicking off this Friday, and then you'll get regular episodes of that for its six episode duration over um, on a Friday as well. And then Invincible starts next week, so that's th- those are two properties you must be very excited for.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Invincible. I don't need you've just talked about my love for Invincible, so I don't. I don't need to. <laughs>
2: um,
1: but I'm really looking forward to to kicking off Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, this this Friday. Uh, I'm really I'm enjoying. It's the it's the world that I'm from. You know, binge binge TV watching is is something that I've I've grown into. But the world that I'm from is the world where you you hang out and and you're looking forward to Tuesday night because Quantum Leap's on, or Wednesday night because Red Dwarfs on, you know, uh, or, or or Saturday night because the A teams on. Uh, so it's that weekly it's that weekly thing, yeah. you know. And I really enjoyed that with Wandavision. Uh, so I'm I'm really looking forward to to. To Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, and that, I think it's only eight episodes. Isn't it? So yeah, six, six episodes. It's, yeah, Um, but I'm looking forward to that, and I th- I'm looking forward to that. that buddy cop Delio, you know, and, and what they're doing with 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 Baron Zemo, and I've really, I've sort of avoided anything but that. That uh, do you remember the show reel that they did at the Disney Investors Disney Expo? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the only thing I've watched. I haven't watched anything else since then. Uh, and I'm just so I'm just I'm happy to go into it as blind as as blind as I can. But uh, I'd say they're going to bounce off each
0: other quite, quite nicely. I'd say so, and I I wholeheartedly agree. It it's nice from time to time getting that binge model, and something like Cobra Kai I think benefits from it because Cobra Kai is very straightforward storytelling. You know what I mean? It's very nostalgic and. Whereas something like division and hopefully Falcon Winter Soldier, it invites discussion, invites, you know, oh, did you notice that part? Or what do you think they're doing here? And it's the kind of show that certainly when the store gets back open as well and people can come down and, you know, sit and hang out and chat and all the rest. Those are the kind of shows you like, because if it's, mm. if, if it's a binge show, you know, you might be in episode four, but I might be in episode six, but someone might have finished it. So I, I'm like you. I mean, obviously, we're we're part of the older generation here, kids, which you'll hear plenty <laughs> about later when we get to a certain Marvel title. Uh-huh. And, and uh, yeah, I think I much prefer the weekly model. So I, I do like what Disney are doing with, you know, the idea of being one show at a time, always on a Friday. When that show ends, another one begins.
1: Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that is, it's funny. There's there's something about delayed gratification there as well, uh, because whenever you're talking about binging Cobra Kai, Bruna and I were very much, well, We'll watch one. We'll watch one tonight. You know, and we'll we'll save it because we, we don't want it to run out. You know, that sort of you know how you, you know how you get with things.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of delayed gratification, it's finally oh coming, Keith. <laughs> you will not have to listen to me anymore say the Snyder Cut is coming soon. The next time we record, I will definitely have seen it. Will you have seen it? It hits this Thursday.
1: I, I will I will have seen it. I will have seen it. I might not get a chance to watch it until uh, as I said, I'm off for a few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might not get a chance to watch it until Monday. Uh, I have I have set my, uh, my, my Virgin Box to record it in Sky Cinema. Uh, my dad is interested in watching it, but I don't know if, A, we will get the TV or the piece to sit for four hours to watch the extravaganza, um, or, in fact, if I'll be able to take four solid hours of Zack Snyder's Dark DC Universe. Uh, at the one time. Uh, I mean, you don't know if you will either because, I mean, you've never gone four full hours back to back.
0: Uh, I
1: have no... In one movie.
0: (laughs) Hmm. Three and a half hours is probably the most, I would say, for a movie. I think Lord of the Rings, Return of the King... Oh, no, no. I
1: I mean specifically Zack Snyder's Dark DC Universe. I mean... BVS extended editions three hours so it's three that's not four hours Alan.
0: i have no problem with it yeah but i have watched (laughs) it man of steel back to back before so we're all good (laughs) yeah all right so so i just
1: don't know if i get the i don't know if i get the chance Uh, uh, obviously i'm really keen to continue to participate in the conversations (laughs) you know in our in our community um it'll be nice to have uh informed opinions yeah you know I'll, i'll be interested to see if if, if my biases and your biases and everybody else's biases remain. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'm trying to, obviously we've had a lot of banter. Uh, I'm not a fan of, of how those, how things transpired, uh, you know, with that, we've talked about it. We don't need to, to rehash it, but I'm trying to keep myself as open as possible. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd love to enjoy it. I'd, I'd love it not to be just bloated fan service.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so yeah so hopefully that so hopefully his original vision if, if if that is what it is 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 better than the. it, it can't not it can't not be better than i think than it's the, impossible the that
0: it's any worse than that because and and that's not a dig at joss Whedon. that's just a nope. dig at a scrambled movie that came from two different you know mindsets and it was just a you know square pegs and round holes sort of things but Obviously, I'm a fan. I'm really looking forward to it. But at the same time, I'm not going into this expecting it to be the greatest thing of all time. I'm just looking forward to dispelling the myth. I'm looking forward to, as you say, having an informed opinion because it it could go either way. You know, there is something to be said. For the movie you have in your head never getting to see it, Mm -hmm. it means it'll Mm -hmm. never disappoint you. But at the same time, when you see it, at least you can make an informed opinion. But I've seen reviews starting to filter out Now, I've, I've been barren from social media for the last couple of days i've uploaded a couple of things for the store and that's it and fair warning here people anybody who listens if you're a customer of ours if you message me on thursday you will not get a reply uh because i'm taking the whole day doing the, you think i'm only watching four hours of zack snyder on wet on thursday as vicky well knows there's 10 full hours coming up on thursday
1: uh, you'll never be the same again so <laughs> I'll, I'll enjoy this podcast now because because guys, this Alan is never coming back. It's going to be a dark DCU Alan that returns,
0: <laughs> who hates the world and <laughs> everything's a crushing disappointment. And who knows. I
1: just, I also hope, I also hope, and I, I know I'm hoping vainly that, regardless of how this movie goes, the next hashtag you're going to see, it's going to be, you know. See of the Zack Snyder D C E U Oh it,
0: it's it's already been you know, up there. It's, it's continued it's, the Snyderverse It's I've seen it before. I, you
1: know, exactly yeah, I, so, it's, so it's,
0: that's the thing. I don't care if this is the greatest thing of all time. I just want it to be a full stop. You know, I'm I'm more than happy that they're moving on and doing what they're doing and that's fine. This is the the reason I'm looking forward to this so much and i have went on about it as much as I have is because there's never been anything like this before where I've sort of mm-hmm. for lack of a yeah, better it's term a, it's a, a fan movement breathed yeah. this to life, you know what I mean? And and that's quite satisfying as a comic fan and a movie fan so but I'm more than happy for this to be a one-off event 4 hours here you go guys enjoy and now we're on to the next thing so but time will tell and uh I will look forward to a conversation with you because you're going into it with low expectations I'm going into it with high expectations I hope we meet somewhere in the middle so
1: yeah and I and I and I uh, I am trying to go in uh receptive open and receptive yeah you know as a, as a as a movie fan and as a superhero fan um i did uh, by the way i meant to I meant to mention to you mm-hmm. i did i did start to uh to uh, i'm trying to find a, a way to put affleck and affection together afflection, afflection. <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to increase my uh, my affliction. uh so uh we were we were sitting on saturday night and we watched uh triple frontier the netflix movie. movie yeah fun movie. uh was a fun movie it was a fun movie um so uh there's another one that uh on on netflix with with, with flick flag in it that i'm gonna well, i'm gonna if, have another look at if
0: there's two i could throw at you just to give a go to gone girl is fantastic as much mm-hmm. because it's a david fincher movie as affleck been in it, of course and rosamund pike's very good in it uh but there's another one called finding the way back which is semi-autobiographical because in real life ben affleck's an alcoholic he's a recovering alcoholic that's right and in finding the way back it's all about like a guy who couldn't have made the big leagues in basketball but pissed it all away and then as he's older he gets brought back to teach his college team it's it's a very well-worn tale but for nostalgic folks like ourselves i think it's our kind of movie so you'd probably enjoy
1: that he can't be a bad guy i mean because kevin smith had him in a bunch of his movies you know what i mean he was he's part of the 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 Kevin Smithivers. Yeah, the view of you know, The view of Um but uh I mean I'm trying to get outside of the, Bat the some of the other stuff. The <laughs> Bat Flag and the Armageddon Ben Affleck. Aye,
0: aye, aye, aye. Don't you be insulting Armageddon? That's oh, no, I'm lo- I Armageddon.
1: I that's loved one Armageddon of the greatest cinematic time.
0: experiences of all time. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Stupid as hell, but so <laughs> Oh, much fun. absolutely. But, but anyway, <laughs> shall, we, shall we get into some comics? I just wanted to take advantage of the fact I had you chatting about the Snyder Cut for 10 minutes. Yes, we are indeed going to move on to comics. So yeah, so as I said at the top, we're going to be covering the 3rd of March and the 10th of March releases. So we'll take a little break in the middle, but we'll go through it in our traditional way. We'll go through some honorable mentions before getting to what was our pick of the week. But we always started off by checking how many titles we had that week. So... It was a pretty, pretty standard week for me. Third of March, I had twenty one titles total. In a weird twist of fate, I had only four DC, but I'll go into that in a moment why that was. Uh, I had seven Marvel, and then I had ten indie, as ever indie winning the day. How about yourself? You had more Marvel than me. I'm collecting all the Keenan Black stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I had, I had a light week. Why did
1: I have such a light week, Alan?
0: Well, the reason I say DC, well, I'll you tell tell me your titles first all. We'll
1: so, so normally we're 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 within within uh, an arm's reach of one another, but uh, this week I had twelve titles, or sorry, on the third of March I had twelve titles, uh, two of them DC for the Marvel, and six of them indie.
0: Well, you see, I can see you are wrong already because you say twelve to- titles total with two DC, but it yet- And our honourable mentions, you are honourably mentioning three DC titles. Three DC, yeah, (laughs) yep, absolutely. I've I've obviously screwed that up. You're bumping those rookie numbers up. That's all good. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Uh it was an interesting week. So with DC, certainly the reason I only had a few titles was because this was the first week after Future State had ended. DC are going with this new model of releasing titles monthly as opposed to fortnightly. So I really think, and certainly this is my experience so far with what I've been reading, that they're fixing more on quality rather than quantity. The reason the Marvel releases were a little bit less this week, as well, is because Keenan Black got delayed. So, as well as Keenan Black being delayed, that meant Venom was delayed. That meant, you know, a couple of other bits and pieces were delayed. Uh, although we'll get onto it in a little bit regarding Daredevil, it just continues on as if everything's okay. But we'll get to that with the tenth of March. So, but yeah, as ever, Indy was was biggest for me. Uh, this seems to be a very common theme, and Same long may continue. Yeah, but yeah, on the DC yeah. side of things, it. The, as I say, it was the end of Future State. So, Future State was this two-month-long event. And at the end of it, we got a one-shot, which uh, we'll, we'll have a quick chat about first, because it's essentially setting up where the DC Universe is going from here. So, just as when DC Rebirth came along uh, back in the day, you had a one-shot written by Jeff Johns called DC Rebirth. Uh, this time, we got Infinite Frontier, which was an issue zero. And this was essentially a collection of tales which was... Uh, woven together with a little narrative regarding Wonder Woman and her, um, basically what happened to her at the end of Dark Knight's Metal, and she was basically ascending to a higher position within the DC Universe. And the talent involved in this book is a who's who of the DC Universe. So you've got Joshua Williamson involved, James Tinian IV, Scott Snyder, Brian Michael Bendis, you've got Becky Cloonan, Joelle Jones, uh, Tim Sheridan, Phil Kennedy-Johnson. Uh, Jeff Johns, Jeffrey Thorne and those are just the writers. Then you've got the likes of David Marquez, Jorge Jimenez, you've got Joel Jones Art as well, Stephen Byrne, you've got uh, Jamal Eagle, Alex Malev, Todd Nawick, Dexter Soy, Howard Porter and then an epilogue by the always reliable John Romita Jr. as well. So. You know, it's it's interesting that you were we were talking not to throw it in again, but we were talking about the Snyder Cut and being you know quite dark and all the rest. This book just seemed full of lightness and hope and ah, color and it, it was
1: yeah. I mean it I mean it. It I, I I really enjoyed it. I mean, so start of the next phase of the DC universe. You know, it's a it's like a jumping on point for a universe rather than a jumping on point for a for title, a title. Yeah. which was which I thought was really well done death metal was was what death metal was you know darkest threats of the dc universe everything rejigged in a way that we don't quite understand yet doesn't really matter anyway uh but yeah so we had a bit of a a bit of a like a lot of a lot of prequels would you say a lot of um prologues almost like prologues almost like trailers a little bit yeah, as yeah, well yeah. yeah so we had we had the the trailer for uh for Joker uh, and the, what happened with what they're now calling A day A day yes uh, day? absolutely yeah Argum day uh-huh, absolutely um and uh, what is it with with comics and and, and comic companies and just having a day that starts with a you know <laughs> there was D day originally in the real world we've had M day now we have A day um so we you know that 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 was that was the follow on i guess from Joker war it was it was Joker's attack on the, on the Dark Knight and upon, upon uh, Arkham. We had, you know, that Wonder Woman. Obviously, the Wonder Woman story was the coverall, but you had a, a young girl in, in Brazil discovering her destiny and her connection to the Amazons. You had Amanda Waller plotting an invasion of Arkham Asylum. You had, in the far reaches of space, you had Mongol uh, dreaming of galactic domination. We set up a big bad there. Uh, we've got the Green Lantern Corps. They were hosting like a, a summit of what seemed to be its greatest enemies. The Hall of Justice, we have uh, and, and the Justice League. You have Black Adam settling in. And and I say that just Stargirl as well was in there. And oh the one that the one that just took me, Alan. The one that, that <laughs> the uh, one that what? brought you back to a title. <laughs> oh absolutely. I mean I was obviously a huge fan of Joshua Williams Flash. I was never done talking about it, but uh, and a, a wee bit wary of what's coming up, but whenever you're telling me that the new Flash is going to be Wally West following his redemption after, after you know everything that's happened, Heroes in Crisis, and all of that stuff, I was I
0: was over the moon. That 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 made it for me, Alan. Yeah, well that's it. I mean, you even had the line from Spectre: "It appears a torch has been passed." So you knew it wasn't <laughs> just going to be a one-off thing here. Of We're going to say we're going to do this, but yeah, that's it. I mean, you were, you were happy to maybe jump off flash, you know, pull the pull list a wee tiny bit, but then, you know, they just, every time you think you're right, they just pull you back (laughs) in. They pull me back in. But yeah, it's essentially setting up the DC universe as like a linear narrative. It's a case of saying that every story in the DC universe has essentially happened uh, instead of trying to set up different earths or, or things like that. You know, I thought one of the really interesting ones was just one wee page, uh, they're setting up a, a Titans title again, and you have Roy Harper there sort of talking to himself. And let me just find the page here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, he's like on his phone going, Dick, Donna, or Jason. Hmm. Hey, guys, it's Roy. Funny story. I'm totally back from the dead. No idea why. Want to hang? So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's essentially just birthing any story that's ever taken place in the DC universe. They're basically saying at this point, it has happened. But what was really good about this book as well is all these individual stories were being told by the creators who are taking over those titles. Mm-hmm. So you had Jimenez writing, you know, the bat story, you had Becky Cloonan doing Wonder Woman, you had Phil Kennedy Johnson doing Superman, you had Bragg Brian Michael Bendis doing Justice League. So yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, I thought it it actually melded together very well considering there were so many individual narratives. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, just I, it really had me excited for the DC universe. I mean, obviously I'm a DC guy, so I'm always going to stick with it. But sometimes it's harder to be excited about it than others. But this had me really excited. I thought it told the story really well, and then that last page, uh, where they're obviously setting up a a big bad, <laughs> and it's a classic villain as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I thought absolutely. It was great. There's yeah, and I, I love the there was a there's a double page spread in there, uh, very close to the end. Uh, you know, where I, I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for a for a double page spread of <laughs> of superheroes. You know, <laughs> just being superheroes. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I I thought, that, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Really strong, really strong book uh, for sure. And 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 some of the uh, you know the the payoff was instant um, because you know the the, the prologue and prologue in here re- led straight into, for example. Batman one oh six, which was out the same week. Yep. Um. And and Swamp Thing, though Swamp Thing wasn't Swamp Thing was was the first of the with the Infinite Frontier. Mm -hmm. Swamp Thing, though it wasn't it wasn't uh prefaced in this. Uh. But yeah, it was it was. I mean, there's there's definitely there's there's some that I have zero interest in. I'm not interested in really the Green Lanterns or Star Girl or terribly interested in Green Arrow and Black Canary or a Teen Titans Academy. Even though I'm interested in the Teen Titans. But I'm interested in Justice League and Batman and The Flash and Superman and, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, I love this
0: book. I thought it was great. Well, yeah, just as you said, it's just a great jump on point for anybody who wants to get into the current incarnation of the DC universe. And as you say, it's a case of reading them and maybe thinking, oh, this story looks interesting, this one. It's not a way of trying to sell you on all of the titles, but just see which ones that maybe, you know, click with you and think you want to continue with. So yeah, all the DC books, as I said, they're they're going monthly now. But you know, pre Future State, it used to be Batman was fortnightly, Flash was fortnightly, Superman oh no, Superman was uh, monthly, uh, Justice League was fortnightly, Detective was fortnightly. But you know, the the problem with that sometimes is that you're going to have rotating artists because there's deadlines that have to be hit. Maybe an, an artist will change mid storyline. It's a little bit jarring. Things like that. So they're going with this new format of releasing things monthly. Uh, they're slightly thicker issues, which will have a backup story that will maybe then introduce new characters or or maybe titles that, similar to what Infinite Frontier did, give you a few pages of, and then it'll maybe spin out. So the first one that, of course, grabbed the attention from myself, being a massive Batman fan, was, of course, Batman 106. And what I'm looking forward to with this run is it looks like because it's monthly, Jimenez will be an art every month. You know the artist used to switch round, and, and we'll certainly get to another title, of Tinian's writing in, in Gotham, with his other Batman artist pre Future State, but this was a fantastic issue. Uh, I'm sorry to say, Keith, though it was very very dark. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're you're positioning the Scarecrow as a main villain here, so it's very much an underutilized villain, and creepy as hell uh, the whole way through. This oh, is-
1: big stand. I should say, I'm not, I'm I'm not not a fan of dark. Uh, just done right, you know what I mean. And this was done. This was done right. I mean, this. It, it felt it felt like it was a, like a new start for Batman. Yeah. Which is what these are supposed to be: Infinite Frontier, jumping on point for a universe, the start of all of these Infinite Frontier arcs, are jumping on points for all of these books. And that's what it, it felt like a new start for Batman. It was dark, but there was also a lightness about it because of the lack of baggage.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: you know uh, that's what I thought. Scarecrow, whoa, that new redesign of Scarecrow is awesome. Yeah, really, yeah. really cool. Um, and Ghostmaker's in there, as you know, I'm a fan of Ghostmaker from the previous arc, uh, and I'm glad to see him hanging about. And Simon Saint. Uh, so they really hit, they really hit the ground running, it was interesting because the the future based future state stories, despite the fact they're set in the future nearly foreshadow what happens in the past which is where yeah. this book is set. you know so so we've already seen where the magistrate will go yeah in future state and here we see the introduction of simon saint the man who creates the
0: magistrate yeah the start of that storyline out class you got the genesis of the peacemaker stuff i mean that's mm-hmm. it you've got simon you know saint essentially selling this whole idea of the magistrate to the new mayor and the mayor is obviously very resistant to it but because of future state you know that this is going to pass one way or another. But, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, nice to see sort of Harley being worked in well as well, where she sort of you know towing the line between good and bad, and also just the fact that as you say, because it's stripping away some of the baggage. You know, as a long time Batman fan, I got to, I get a kick out of seeing Barbara back as Oracle. Yes, you know, being,
1: oh no, I, I totally am with you. Totally being with in
0: Batman's you. ear, but she she sort of speaks about how. She is essentially giving the microchip in her spine a bit of a rest. I'm not trying to overload it, so you know that she still can jump into the back duds if she needs to. Uh,
1: and uh, I mean, there's a there's a definite Dark Detective thing going on here, where you have a lower tech Batman, uh, not quite as low tech as he is in Dark Detective. Yeah, but he's certainly but been stripped of all his income. Yeah, and so forth. yeah, and I mean, he's still still worth a lot of money, but he's he's living in a in a tenement house or a you know a, a terrace house that he's converted into effectively a, a, a micro bat cave and yeah. he's talking about all these micro bat caves, which he's lost by the time dark detective comes around, I guess. But even the way he treats the Batmobile, he's stripped everything back. Uh, you know, I thought it was class. You know, I think I'm really, really interested in that uh, Bruce Wayne or, or, or Batman Ghostmaker relationship. You know, they're sparring buddies now, they're sparring yeah. or You know, I thought that was, that was, that was really class. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really hope they, they stop announcing new Batman books and just focus on these books because because <laughs> these are, this is awesome. This was great. I really, I really enjoyed it. Really looking forward to to seeing where this goes. Maybe, maybe in a way that, uh, that I haven't been, you know, since, since the start, you know, the Tom King run was, was fantastic. Obviously we're, we're watching it finish off here with, with Bat which you know, is just fantastic. Uh, but this it feels like maybe tinian's last arc was you know it was a new arc of course but it, it's, there was still a wee bit of a tom king hangover there or a tom king yeah I think like that, he, he had I think to you know whereas whereas future state has really wiped the slate clean in a way and and has you know i think so i think he'll really be able to come into his own here and i'm Jesus, I'm I'm reading Harley Quinn and not Winston. This is great. <laughs> <He> is <laughs> what a did weird. you think of the backup story?
0: I enjoyed it. I, I know that you had some sort of uh, issues with the Robin design, shall we say, or with Damian, or with Damien's new outfit. I enjoyed the story, though. I mean, anything that examines the, you know, the spurned mother and child relationship I love because Talia is always going to be bitter that essentially Damien chose Bruce over her. And uh, I thought it was a really cool, a really cool setup. It's obviously going to spin out into its own series. Joshua Williamson on writing duties there, so
2: yeah, I, I enjoyed it for yeah. what it was. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I mean, it's Joshua Williamson. It's it's Joshua Williamson. So that's that was where my my struggle was. Uh, it's interesting, you know, because this is this is one of the first that we've seen where there's a backup story that we know was already announced as a as an ongoing series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I really looking forward to that series. Costume was
0: horrible. Costume was horrible. Uh,
1: (laughs) Work in progress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Work in progress.
0: (laughs) But yeah, so very, very strong start in Infinite Frontier then for Batman. I think you're right. I think that maybe the first couple of arcs of Tinian's were almost transitional arcs of transitioning away from the continuity of Tom Keen, and this felt very much like the right, I've got all my pieces in place, this is what I want to explore, so... And again, I have to throw out a mention for Jorge Jimenez on art. It is one Whoa. stunning, stunning book. <laughs> it really is. So
1: you know what have we done to deserve Jorge Jimenez on on one Batman book, and <laughs> you know, and 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 Dan Mora on another. Dan Moran
0: on another. You know, it's the lure of the bat, you see, lure of the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, one other DC title. It's certainly worth chatting about. Now we could have put this on the tenth releases if we wanted, but the official um... release was the third
1: this is where my screwed up mathematics for the book ah, all makes came sense, from. See? That's why, yeah, there's one. Yeah, because initially <laughs> I had got this in the 10th. We knew it was a third release, so
0: we threw it in there. So Another mystery solved. So, yeah, we're talking about the swamp thing. So this was issue 1 of 10. Ram V on art duties here, and it's Mike Perkins on art, who, of course, did such stellar work on the Lois Lane miniseries that we very much enjoyed last year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Future States One Thing already was one of the stronger titles. I thought very lyrical, very thought provoking, very deep. And this was just more of the same. Uh, the, they do not skimp on the horror in this either. You know, considering you open up a, uh, the page with sort of like a 12 a panel spread to do with like bugs and larvae and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But they, they do not skimp on the horror here. But no, it's, it's very it's different a, to Swamp Thing stuff I've read recently because there was a good Swamp Thing run in the new fifty two, it was actually by Scott Snyder, but it was more, it was action horror based. If you know what I mean, this is very psychological horror.
1: Where did the the idea of the green and the red and whatnot come from? That then was so the, that Snyder. So the green or was and that... the red
0: was Snyder. It was a crossover uh, called. Oh, it was Animal Man yeah, and, and Swamp Thing. It was Woman. called Rottworld and mm-hmm. it was uh animal man was written by jeff lemire and Snyder was on swamp thing it was a crossover, very very good crossover mm-hmm. actually
1: but yeah i mean i jesus i thought this this was very close to my pick of the week i have to say uh they within the story there's a new face behind the familiar character of swamp thing yeah, in it it's
0: no longer dr alec collins no
1: uh levi but yeah he's you know so you got a new you got a new face behind a familiar character you've got a a familiar yet brand new direction. And did you feel that there was a, there was a sniff of of like the Western noir and American Gothic around this? I mean, there was at that start, I I nearly that, that cop, I kept expecting him to go. Well, Well. (laughs) (laughs) so, so there was definitely, there was definitely that Ram V makes the, the new lead character Levi feel very, very, Relatable while still maintaining this mystery about what's happening to him, and you know Mike Mike Perkins is brilliant as well. In a mystery story, his art and panels they nearly seem to hide as much as they show. Sometimes, Uh, you know, even just the 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 orientation and shape of the panels seems to be sometimes cutting off things that you wish you could see. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I I I thought this was this was great. The the new the new villain is you know the, the 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 antagonist in this was just sort of fairly horrible um and, and tied to yeah uh, yeah the, uh, very much to american history i think which is uh, you know the history of a young country uh, and oil and, and and so forth yeah really really looking forward to seeing where this goes this is a 10-issue mini, isn't
0: it? Yeah, 10-issue. 10-issue maxi, sorry? I suppose you'd more refer to it as a maxi series. But yeah, just full of great sequences and so forth. I mean, the part where he's traveling via plane, you know, from New Delhi back to JFK, and, you know, he can feel a transformation coming, and he runs to the bathroom. And then, as you say, that Mike Perkins sort of double-page layout of the plane exploding because he can't control it, and it obviously turns out to be a dream and so Mm -hmm. forth. And then, yeah, the last few pages, the horrific imagery of, you know, the bad guy essentially getting one over at him, flicking him to the side like he's nothing, and he's like, if you're worthy, you will return. And I love that, where he basically sends him into Central Park, you know, through the green. Oh,
1: he, through yeah, through the tree, that was yeah. class, yeah. So and, I mean, what what I'm, I'm interested to see, because Levi doesn't know yet that he is the Swamp Thing, you know, and doesn't have a, a connect. you know, but he but this creature, this this antagonist seems to have a greater knowledge of what's going on. Just I don't know, there's a whole lot
0: Yeah. A whole lot to unpack there, I think. Yeah, and and same again, it's another scenario where we always say follow the creators and Ramvey's been doing such stellar work recently. So uh, I mean we've a few people in store who have jumped on this just because of that. You know, Swampy's not a character they know a lot about, but you know, they, they have full trust in the creators so so yeah, that was pretty much the uh, the DC Honourable Mentions for that week, so a few different ones for Marvel. Uh, we actually have two each, and uh, there are two titles that you're reading that I'm not, and two titles that I'm reading that you're not. Shall I kick off? You kick us off.
1: Perfect. Um, Avengers 43 um, by Jason Aaron and Javier Garon. Um it is into the Phoenix Part Four, so it's a an intriguing story that that, that is continuing that we know is going to throw us, going to kick us off into into the the Heroes Reborn um, event. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see how, but this this is an it, it's an intriguing look into the the mind of of the Phoenix as Jason Aaron sees it as we wait for. The reveal of who the Phoenix's chosen champion is, Namor has sort of revealed himself to be the true villain here. But as always with Namor, as you've come to understand, Alan, with perfectly understandable motivations, you know, he's 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 a you know <laughs> you know a wee bit more about Namor now than you used to. Uh, Javier Garon, he he his art just captures. This is it's effectively a big slugfest, mm-hmm. and Garon captures the brutality of it's. It's. It reminds me of Contest of Champions, which was the the event series which actually preceded both uh, Crisis and Infinite Earths and Secret Wars. Um, so I know we're always arguing about which came first, but Contest of Champions came first. <laughs> but but it's very much like that Contest of Champions, like tournament. I'm really interested to see how it leads into Heroes Reborn. It's still Avengers. Still feels like it needs a kick in the butt to get it back where it should be. You know, at the as one of the flagship marvel titles but but I'm thoroughly thoroughly enjoying it nonetheless and uh, we're left in a in a tricky situation at the end you know because it's not it's not hero versus villain for who will become the next phoenix but hero versus hero uh, and comrade versus comrade uh, sort of thing so it's it's very very good very very enjoyable but just uh, just needs to do something more it's not It's not Aaron's best work by any means, but...
0: That is a high bar, though. It is a high bar. (laughs) Well, I mean, from an Avengers title you're reading to one that I'm reading, which is a five-issue miniseries called Avengers Mech Strike. This is written by Jed McKay and art by Carlos Magno. This is just a really fun Avengers title. It's essentially... It kicked off an issue one where the Avengers had to fight this giant uh, biomechanoid in the middle of New York, and... Their own powers were not quite enough to face up to this thing, so they end up building... Uh, Tony Stark has built these giant mech suits for each of them, and they all basically exaggerate their powers so that they can take these down. So the Avengers line up in this one is Cap, uh, Black Panther, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, and Spider-Man. And it's just it's just the equivalent of big-budget storytelling. You know, it's the <laughs> depth of a puddle, but it has great imagery. It's It's... Avengers in mech suits fighting big monsters, but what really uh brought it home for me was the dialogue is actually very very good in it. You know, Spider-Man's very quippy. It reminds me of some of Tom Taylor's Friendly Neighborhood stuff. And it also seems to have consequences, you know, it's there there's a main character in this that dies, you know, out of the eight I just said. And hmm. I won't spoil it of course, but because it's its own individual little mini series, it seems to have consequences, which is cool. Uh, And the main villain in it is someone who I don't know if you've seen in Avengers for a long time, uh, Kang the Conqueror. Oh, Kang the Conqueror. Uh, Yeah.
1: Kang is currently featuring in King and Black symbiote Spider-Man alongside Rocket Raccoon Black Knight and uh, Captain Marvel Monica Rambeau, Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: who we know from WandaVision. Um, Yeah. And and we know that uh, Kang the Conqueror is going to be featuring in the near future or, well, the nearest future in the, uh, in the Marvel cinematic universe.
0: Yeah. Well, again, if you just fancy a bit more of a switch your brain off, just superheroes doing superhero things and quipping while they do it, but also with a little bit of depth to it, uh, Avengers mech strike is something I'm very much enjoying. Uh, so one other Marvel title for yourself. What was that?
1: Yes. And it's my, my only X pick, uh, this week. Uh, and that's Hellions number 10, uh, by Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia. Um, week month to month, Zeb Wells is doing great work on the Hellions, the the slightly uh, left of centre uh, X team, the team that are they they let they keep they keep on a chain and they let off a chain off the chain whenever whenever they're they're needed that sort of thing. Uh, all all characters who have uh, a penchant for violence and and. A lack of self-control, I guess, in some cases, but this is it's an interesting story. Uh, We've got uh, the Hellions at the mercy of Arcade, uh, who you maybe know as a Marvel villain. Uh, Arcade's well known for building uh, insidious uh, traps and uh, in his in his murder world theme park sort of thing. So uh, we've got in in one part of the story we've got Mister Sinister who leads the Hellions at the mercy of Arcade. Arcade's torturing and pulling out teeth literally. (laughs) <laughs> uh, in order to get them to talk, uh, and meanwhile the, the Hellions are 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 at the mercy of our um, kids psychologically manipulative murder world. And so, as Arcade and Mister Sinister Tangle, we take a deep dive into the psyches of the most psychotic of the X teams. Uh, so interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, highly recommend. It's ten issues in, uh, and just a really a really solid book. For some reason, it feels as close to the old X-Factor, the Chris Claremont X-Factor, as any of these X-Books are getting, which is always going to be a draw for me.
0: An X-Men title that I enjoyed this week, which was one I didn't expect to, and and to be honest, was very close to being my pick of the week because it surprised me so much, and that was Demon Days X-Men, Issue 1. So, this is one that is interesting for a number of reasons. A. Peach Momoko making uh, her interior art debut in the Marvel Universe. She's well known for doing shed loads of covers, variant covers. It, throw a stone, you'll hit a Peach Momoko cover, really, in the last six months. Uh, even for indie titles as well. And I think she's even done a DC title here and there. But this is the first time she's being given the opportunity to do her own story. Now, the first taste of Demon Days X Men was actually in the back of Keenan Black, number four. And it annoyed me so much that there was an eight page preview for something in the back of Keenan Black, because I wanted more Keen and Black uh-huh, pages, uh-huh. that I didn't even read it. But this was a big title that came out. I thought I'd give it a go. I It probably caught me at a good time because I'd just watched sort of eight or ten episodes of Naruto in the last couple of days leading up to this. And this is essentially Japanese folklore by way of the Marvel Universe. Now, Marvel's tried similar things to this in the past with Marvel Mangaverse and X-Men mis- Misfits, something like that. But having a Japanese artist, I think, makes all the difference here. Uh, Peach Momoko's art is, of course, very watercolory, very painterly type style. But it was just a really, really class issue. It's essentially following a character uh, who is Psylocke, you know, for lack of a better term. But they don't really refer to them in this by their Marvel names. You're, it's it's kind of like a who's who where you have to pick up who is being portrayed as who. So, like, she has a wolf that comes with her that she calls Wolvie who can regenerate. So of course, you know, not not really hard to figure out who that one is. There's a giant snake that is attacking these small Japanese villages that's covered in this black goo and you know has a big massive tongue that sticks out of it. So it's, you know, a, an interpretation of venom as well. There's an interpretation of Hulk in here. It it is very Japanese. Now again, it caught me at a good time because I'd been watching a lot of Naruto, so I could I could see the tropes as I was reading it. But this just came out of nowhere for me and I just thought it was so, so good. just puts a big smile on your face reading it. The art is expressive and dynamic. Uh, There's some great action in there. And it seems to be that these Demon Days books, they're going to be every couple of months, but every single one of them is going to be a different character or different corner of the Marvel Universe. You know, we're not just following Demon Days X-Men the whole way here. And uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it to it. I know you're not a fan of Momoko's art and I very much... Would tend to take or lever as well, but it really suits the story in this.
1: Interesting. I mean, it, it certainly the cover art isn't. It doesn't necessarily grab me, but but I mean, yeah, interiors are, are a whole different bag. But um, it, it reminds me, Alan, of uh of of a book that I must grab for you while I'm while I'm here and, and bring it bring it up to you. It's a book from from two thousand eleven. It was a five issue mini series called Five Ronin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think it was it was two thousand eleven, and it was written by Peter Milligan. Uh, it had people like, well, a variety of different people, but uh, Leandro Fernandez was was one of the uh, the artists. And uh, you had covers by John Cassidy, Giuseppe Coley, Ed McGuinness, David Aja. It was five books, five heroes, one unforgettable story of heroes pushed to their limits. 17th century Japan, uh, a time and place of violent upheaval, wandering Ronan, mysterious Geisha, and into this strange and dangerous world come Wolverine, Psylocke, Punisher, Hulk, and Deadpool, uh, as you've never seen them before. Um, so I must, uh, I think that might appeal to you um, very much along those of those lines.
0: Nice, nice. I could get on board with that, as long as it comes with a complimentary copy of uh, Invincible Omnibus Number 2. <laughs> then we're all good. So, uh, yeah, so that's the Marvel side of things. So just a couple of indie ones to throw some uh, some interest on. It was inevitable we'd have a little chat about Berserker. Uh, this was the long-in-the-works title, co-written by Kenny Reeves and Mac Kint. Uh, it originally had a different artist on it who then stepped away. Ron Garney stepped in. I think you described this best in in our group chat, and the the words were akin to like this is the Saturday night movie version of the Old Guard. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think I think it will make an awesome movie. I think it's designed for that. Brilliant book. Really interested to see where it goes. But it's like a dumber version of of Old Guard and Lazarus. Yeah. But in a world where both of those books exist and rise above most things it's it it sort of lags behind i guess on that on that note but that said it was great fun it was great fun violent uh you know a lot of a lot of gore um ron garney's art is fantastic yeah uh for sure i mean whoever whoever i can't remember who hopped off it but i'm glad ron garney hopped on
0: yeah it was it was just very visceral very grown up uh, to say the least and uh yeah, I mean, it, there wasn't an awful lot of dialogue to it, which I think sort of helped it a bit as well. And it was just basically this unstoppable killing machine just tearing his way through all these bad guys. Uh, and then at the end of the book, it, it sort of tries to have a bit more depth to it, I think. Uh, it starts going into his past and how he remembers being born. These these are all things that are happening as he is uh, is healing afterwards. But uh let me just see if I can find who was the original artist on this. It's it's actually going to bug me a little bit cuz I remember it being announced with a different artist and they apparently weren't very happy with the uh the original art, so they brought in Ron Garney, but uh, it'll come to me at some point. Yeah, so, sure. So, yeah, sure. so there was Berserker number 1. Uh what else we got in DIY? Something from yourself uh, from Aftershock?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I was I was I've been looking forward to this, uh, Undone by Blood, The Other Side of Eden, number one. So, this is the continuation of uh, Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson's, uh, they're both on on writing uh, next story in, in, in their neo Western series that I guess depicts the hard truths of seeking vengeance in the real world. Uh, Sammy Cavella from Tommy Gun Wizards or Machine Gun Wizards is on the, the art on this. Uh, and it, uh, so I don't know if you re- if you recall this. Rod, Roddy introduced me to this, uh, the original. Uh, I can't remember even what the the original Undone by Blood subtitle was. But, I mean, it was set in the 70s and had that gritty 70s revenge, um, kill Bill, but with less uh, melodrama. Um, and it was about this young girl whose uh, family had been killed. She comes back to a town. Uh, and tries to enact revenge. This is interesting, This is and, and, and the thing about it was the the format. So you had the main story, and she was also reading a book, uh, a Western book about famed gunslinger, you know, an old West pulp dime novel about famed gunslinger Solomon Eaton. Uh, so it definitely has that that sort of Western, neo, neo-Western sort of thing going on. But this one is set in the early 1930s rather than also in the 70s, you know? So it's the height of the Great Depression, dust bowl and this guy silvano luna del rio works as a postman in a, in a town in texas and he he seems only he doesn't have too much left to his name he seems to be recovering from a tragedy he's got a gun and he's got this western novel and this is where it segues in because he's also reading a novel featuring field gunslinger solomon kane so the the narrative jumps between the story and and the solomon kane novel or the solomon Eaton novel sorry um so you know it seems he's setting up this he's setting up to rob the first skyscraper in West Mississippi, you know, take back the country from you know the the, the capitalists that have taken it and but this is it's revenge it's about it's about revenge and uh we'll see where it goes. I don't know where it's going to go, but based on the last one, you should just grab this now. Because it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Really looking forward to seeing the series continue, see the storyline, see the connections. You know, see the as as interested to see the storyline of Solomon Eaton in this this particular storyline of the cowboy. This particular pulp dime novel that uh, that Silvano's reading seems to be set before the 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 novel that the protagonist in, in the previous series was, was reading. Just a great great first issue that just bounces between those two worlds fantastically.
0: Yeah, as you say, the trade's already available for that, uh, the first volume, and you know, a couple issues into this, it seems to be maintaining those standards. Uh, yeah, I was able to find out, it was an artist called Alessandro Vitti, was the original artist on Berserker, who had worked on things like Secret Warriors, Iceman, Kings of Hell, A, that kind of thing. But uh, they don't really go into detail on why he left, but yeah, I, I don't think the book suffers for it. Uh, another indie one that I just want to again throw a bit of love out for, uh, Paddy will be happy to hear about this, otherwise known as my porno book as he calls it, but this is a book called <laughs> Casual Fling, uh, this is a four issue miniseries released through AWA, written by Jason Starr, art by Dalibor Talahitch. it was basically, I'd, I'd pitched it before as the kind of comic that you don't see a lot of, You know, it's very adult orientated title, the first issue was essentially about a bored housewife who works in a high powered job, and she essentially has a one-night stand with a guy, but she explains to him that night, look, I'm married, this can't go anywhere, this is just a bit of fun, and he agrees. But by the end of issue one, the problem is that, unbeknownst to her, is that the guy videoed it, and during the video, he was wearing a mask, as like this sort of kinky type thing. So everyone can see that it's her in the video, but he not him. So issue two kicks off, and it turns out that You know, this high-powered businessman she had a a one-night stand with. Nobody has actually heard of him. He seems to have created a fake identity for himself. And he is bribing her for essentially $10,000 or he'll release the video. And she has no choice but to tell her husband. And she tells the husband. He walks out on her, says he's away to stay with the mother, uh, with his mom and all this kind of stuff. But this is the reason why this book might appeal to you, Keith, was the last page. And this was a direction the story took that I was not expecting. <laughs> so he asks his wife to send her to send him the video because he wants to see it. And you see this sort of rage moment where he obviously sees another another guy with his wife. But he, he rushes out of his uh, mom and dad's house. And you see him go to Brooklyn. And he goes down a flight of steps. He goes down into this building with all this graffiti on it. Knocks on a door. And this woman opens it. And he says, it's been a while. I need to call in that favor, sensei. So, so he's obviously gonna go after the guy. So the book just took such a turn, I thought. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, I think Keith would actually get on board with us <laughs> So, uh, I, me thinks he's out for a little bit of revenge. But uh, I see. So to... the the theme of our last two choices, revenge, revenge indeed. So that is uh casual fling, and and again, that's another AWA title, that, you know, and an imprint I will speak so highly of. Speaking of AWA, I believe we have one more. Oh, you do. Uh,
1: Chariot number no. one by Brian Hill and Priscilla Petreates, uh, an, an artist who I am not familiar with, but uh, I, geez, I'm really, I'll be looking forward to what she does in the future. Chariot one was <laughs> almost built to appeal to people in my age group uh, who like the things I like. So the Chariot is a Cold War era secret government project. To provide its star agent with a weapon unlike any other, in the form of a supercharged muscle car. Can you say? So, so after a very brief two-page prologue, the chariot sinks to the ocean with its with its 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 driver in it, and and decades pass. And I guess the agent passes along with it. Now there's a petty criminal. He's looking to reform his life. And he stumbled upon the chariot. Uh, he works as a as a, a part-time uh, mechanic in a chop shop. The guy who owns a chop shop says, if an end comes in, you want to work on it, it's all yours. And he finds this thing and he opens the hood. And he's like, what? <laughs> so he stumbles upon the chariot. And he immediately finds out whenever some guys, some leg breakers come to uh to, to collect his data immediately finds out that the agent's consciousness is still controlling the car and what is shaping up to be i think they've called it a synth wave thriller uh you know so that uh, it's just it's great like it it gorgeous art sort of really straight writing opens up this this awesome mystery that I'm just waiting to see unfold you know it's it it's neon painted. Uh, it's it's just great. I mean, Brian Edward Hill is a solid writer. You know, has been on Detective Comics, Batman, and different things. Um, so the series just gets off to a great start. Gunfire, car chases, badass heroines, consciousness stuck in a highly advanced muscle car. <laughs> it's just there's a real style. There's a real style about it that I don't know. It, it, it's like I don't know drive maybe there's some there's a there's a sniff of that in it there's probably if you like those fast and furious movies there's probably something here but yeah it's a futuristic sentient night rider style (laughs) car what's not to like with great art and and yeah i I mean i think you know we've already talked about one one book tonight that i think was written to be a movie which is berserker uh i think they could follow it up fairly fairly sharply with this (laughs) You know, if you if you want to take if you want to take the the idea of Night Rider and transport it into the modern day, I think you're doing all right. You know.
0: Yeah, I I read this myself as well. I I very much enjoyed it. I did feel that it whizzed by, which is probably a terrible pun for a book about a car, but <laughs> I, I felt like just as it was getting going, it was like ah, oh, why did it end there? So yeah, yeah, uh, it, it felt like a short issue to me, but maybe that was just because I was enjoying it and wanted more. So. yeah there's
1: was, there's was plenty going on i mean you had that two or three pages at the start where you were introduced to the agent you were introduced to the car then the car went in the drink you know and with her in it and then we you know we have this guy who his mother someone was in hospital was there a hospital there was someone in hospital i believe if i recall um you know so you're you're just you just got an idea that he's he's gotten the wrong side of the the law he's or the wrong side of the wrong people and he's he's a guy who means the best you know he's he's he probably can't get out of his own way and you know now he's got a a muscle car that's powered by a secret agent that probably has i don't know probably has a mission to complete somewhere along the line this is the only guy that she can trust
0: you know uh, yeah i don't know I, I i love it already i love it already <laughs> <laughs> well again it's the sign of a good book that when it gets to the last page you just go oh is that it so, mm-hmm. yeah, I enjoyed that myself. Again, I, I read all the AWA stuff just because the, there's such diversity. And, they, again, they tend to be just short four or five-issue minis. So uh, I'm I'm a big advocate for that uh, yeah, line there's, in there's, general.
1: There's that whole, I mean, that's what I mean, that whole sort of synth-wavy sort of uh, future noir, especially when viewed from the point of view of the 80s, as kind of Blade Runner. Blade Runner. What else do <laughs> they need to say, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it.
0: Cool. So that is it for Honorable Mentions for the uh, 3rd of March. So we'll just finish off the 3rd of March with our two picks. And look at that, it's two indie books. So I must admit, with these two books that we're going to chat about here, you could probably switch them around uh, very, very easily <laughs> and make Keith's pick my pick <laughs> and my pick Keith's pick. So. Plenty to chat about here. So for me, the the standout title this week was Noctera. Uh, So this is a brand new number one through Image Comics, uh, written by long-term favorite writer of my own, Scott Snyder. Uh, Art by Tony S. Daniel, who's worked in DC and Marvel and indie books for years, one of the industry greats. And uh, colorist is Tomo Moray, who is uh, turning up in more and more books and is a colorist that uh, I believe Clay told us that he basically told DC with Batcat, you get me him or I'm not doing it. So uh, <laughs> and this is the kind of book where colors shines. So So Noctera just at its base level, if you had the elevator pitch it to someone, I would call it Mad Max meets Pitch Black you know it's Ooh, okay yeah so yep. it, it essentially takes place on an earth where uh you know 10 years ago so it takes place in in their modern day but there are a few flashbacks to when life was normal but basically they live in a world now where it has been plunged into darkness and anything that gets caught in that darkness then turns into a monstrous creature
1: yeah i mean anything that is in that darkness without light
0: for yeah, 10 hours for too long uh yeah, so yeah, because so, uh, yeah, the way you just described it, it would be end of everything. <laughs> oh yeah, gone. But yeah, so to survive, they have to stay close to an artificial light source. So again, this is where the colors really come in. So the main character in this is a character called Val Riggs, who is a ferryman, someone who transports people and goods along the darkened roads. You know, takes those risks. You know, with the monsters and all the things that go bumping the night out there. The reason I really love this book is is multiple-fold, to be honest. I think it does an exceptional job of world-building. I think this uh, this scenario that is set up, you know, the darkness and so forth, it it feels like a rich, lived-in world. You know, you see characters who are living in fear. You see characters who... These fairy men are sort of their last hope, that kind of thing. You see loads of little details in the art of people literally wrapping their arms up in LED lights and, you know, just whatever they can do to survive. You very much see the uh, the dangers of this world as well. For if you're out in that darkness, you see how capable a character the the Val is. You know, very brave, very skilled. You see, you know, humankind living how they can in a place called Outpost Forty One, where life continues in some sort of way. A place, a place that was a light bulb
1: factory. Yeah. But that was a lovely touch, yeah. uh
0: (laughs) You know, if if you are going to look somewhere to have lots of uh, resources (laughs) to keep you alive in this world, this is definitely one of them. But you've already got this great book, and it's all being set up for Val to do this run that is quite dangerous. But she's got personal stakes. She has, you know, I think it's a family member who is in hospital and needs medical bills taken care of and so forth. And already this is a great book. But then you get to the last couple of pages, and you introduce this villain called Blacktop Bill. And mm-hmm. talk about your all-time great entrances. This was fantastic. <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. All right.
1: Um, I mean, to me, the the villain. I mean, I'm interested to see what what Blacktop Bill's relationship to the darkness is, because the darkness is the villain in this book. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, humanity is humanity is is the world has gotten so small because the world is is only only exists within the the sphere of the light that can be cast by whatever you could generate. And outside of that, it's not your world. It's it's the world of these shades. And I thought that was really interesting because the the shades there can be human shades, you know, humans who have been out of the darkness, but there's also plants and animals. And because they're now all shades, they can all interbreed. So you have these plant animal things or these human animal things because they can all interbreed because they're shades even if they were originally humans or originally plants or originally you know so there's so we're gonna see some some mad creatures here and it sort of cast me my mind back to uh, philip kennedy johnson's the last god and the flowering dead uh was kind of interesting but yeah this was oh this was i really enjoyed really enjoyed this great concept great stakes i loved I love that Val is one of these few people who can be a ferryman because she was born in darkness. Mm-hmm. She was born with uh, with cataracts, or or a, a cataract like uh, visual disability that that uh, you know meant that whenever the darkness came, you know everybody remembers where they were whenever the darkness you know came, but to her she just felt like she was going back to darkness again because mm-hmm. she had had these this she had had this condition that had been alleviated through simple surgery whenever she was adopted and and then she felt like she was going back to darkness again the family member you talk about is her adopted brother uh who is uh i think is suffering from the first steps of of the darkness of the shade so they say it starts whenever you've been caught in the darkness for too long it starts in your gums and once it comes through you get it it moves from your gums into your bone and your blood and once once it's gone that far you're it's gone too far so she's trying to stop him from being discovered and, and uh she's trying to dialyze his blood in order to 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 to, to try and eliminate the the shade the, the darkness or whatever but uh, yeah it's like a, it was like a supernatural horror and science fiction and post-apocalyptic and sort of almost superhero-y there's some superhero bits in there ish uh but yeah great great read this one this one should bounce right to the top of the reading list i think if you if you haven't got this one get it uh really, and, and again you know we this is netflix or amazon and
0: how many years do you give it it'll be announced by issue three at the latest i would say <laughs> but yeah i mean even it's, it's even really good at turning sort of storytelling conventions on its head as well because you're introduced to this as i say really dark character you know black top bill attack someone is able to basically set their face on fire just by touching them it's it's almost a simple design in a way it's just a person but completely blacked out except for their teeth that you can see but even this you know they're they're establishing them as the villain they want to know where Val is and she is basically been tasked to transport this old man and you think like old man weak obviously the good guy and then someone asks Blacktop you know why what did he do to you and he's like well not to me darling to all of us See, he's the man who killed the son, and we're going to hunt him down. So suddenly it throws it on its head, and you're like, maybe this guy oh. isn't a bad guy. And it was, you know, it was so- interesting because Val is being motivated by the fact
1: that so it's this this old man and his, his granddaughter, yeah, I believe. But the interesting fact about the old man is that he has sunburn, isn't that right? So yeah. the sunburn suggests
0: that... that there is natural light out there somewhere. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, the promi- it's the... that old promised land trope. So yeah, hundred percent. Just... It's is, Waterworld, isn't
1: yeah. it? There's a, there's a, you know, dry land.
0: Waterworld is a very underrated movie.
1: Actually, oh, I totally um... agree. Totally agree. <laughs> you know, you said
0: you said Mad Max and Pitch Black, Waterworld. You know, that that's Mad Max on the water, really, isn't it? <laughs> that's a fair point. But yeah, just tons to enjoy in this book, and that's without even mentioning the art. You know, Tony S. daniel's on fire here. It's just a, a beautifully realized world, and like really, really take in the details of the backgrounds. You know, as I was saying before, you see like characters just wrapped up in LED lights and standing close to street lamps, and you know, just fear permeates every single page in this book. Uh, that that old-fashioned again trope of fear of the dark, uh, except in this case, it really will kill you. So, just yeah, brilliant, brilliant book. I mean, there, it's an interesting one because Noctera was originally a Kickstarter. And it's a Kickstarter that I I personally backed. It was for a really nice complete volume hardcover of it. And I think there's a print in the uh, the one that I backed as well. But there's a part of me wishes I had the book to read it all. But another part of me that is similar to what we were saying earlier about TV shows. I'm happy enough to wait month to month and speculate and chat about it and see it grow. So um, I know they've had some problems shipping to this side of the world, so I'm sure I'll get it at some point. And, uh, yeah, just great, great title. Highly recommend it. And really looking forward to seeing where it goes. So, yeah, Noctera number one is my pick of the week. And I believe we have an image double this week. You are not wrong. Uh, We're we're always talking about this. We're
1: always talking about firepower, aren't we? We are. But, but this was... Firepower number nine, Robert Kirkman on uh, on writing duties, Chris Samney on artist duties, co-creators, Matt Wilson and colors, and uh, Russ Wooten on letters. This uh, this this book just keeps going from strength to strength. Firepower is uh, the story of Owen Wilson, isn't that right? Uh, no, not Owen Wilson, no, I can't remember what Owen's surname is, uh, but He's, you know, you you could do do yourself a favor of of picking up the the, the first two volumes uh, of this. But uh, Owen was was uh, you know in his younger years was was educated in an ancient Himalayan temple. He holds the power of fire Effectively, he can do what Ryu and can do and uh, generate hadoukans. Uh, and, if and he doesn't well. say
0: hadouken at some point, it's such a yeah. Nice opportunity.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, the, it turns out that his past has followed him into his modern life, uh, the life of his family. He's a, he's a he's a family man with, you know, a very he's got a nice life. You know, he's, his his parents are still alive. He's got two kids. He's got a, a wife. He's a he's a cop, and it all it all has just followed him, you know, back to to this and and with this issue, Owen and his family are following his history back to where it began, and things have just taken twists and turns. The the, the, the two different temples who were at war may not be what he thought and and all of this sort of stuff, but it's fairly easy. It sounds complicated, but it's fairly easy to pick up if you pick up those first two two volumes. That said, where this issue picks up is in midair. Falling out of a plane? <laughs> yeah, and, and the most exciting place possible. It's almost like, you know, Kirkman just challenges himself. And goes right. So at the end of the last issue, we had, uh, sorry, Owen Johnson and you know, at the end of the last issue, we had uh, he was attacked. Uh, he was attacked on the plane, and he he attempted to eject his attacker from the from the plane and managed to eject himself as well. Uh, definitely the most exciting opening of a comic this year, I would say. Uh, and despite what Owen can do, despite his martial arts expertise, despite his fires his fireballs, you're kind of going, Jesus, he's he's in midair. How how can he? how is he going to get out of this you know he's he's in midair and but it's a freefall fight between owen and and the assassin the sword wielding assassin on the plane a lot of the issue is devoted to the freefall fight and pick it up just for that because it it's class uh i mean with with chris samney's art and matt wilson's colors you know but then it starts to you know through the fight as as owen's using his his fireball power his fire to push it you know, to, to hit the end he realizes that the the fire power is is generating uh, thrust for him so he's able to yeah, at least in some way roughly direct his fall or direct his his direction of, of fall uh, So a great fantastic tension and the attacks and the, the fighting and uh, and all of that just the, the stakes just seem really really high and, uh, and just that you know at the end as as, as owen is It's hitting the ground. He just generates the biggest fireball, the biggest firepower, you know, we've seen since this. And it's just all whoosh, whoosh, and he, you know, he breaks his, he breaks his fall. Uh, It's just, it just keeps going and going. Uh, It's just, I don't know, you,
0: you were on this yourself. Oh, 100% we've, we've both been on this we were very excited about this from the start yeah kirkman you always know is going to be a great uh great weaving a great tale chris samney i'm a huge fan art wise obviously my favorite daredevil run so far uh is chris samney and then just the unique way it came out you know that prologue graphic novel and then the free comic book day and then the way it goes but the thing about this is i could have easily made this my pick of the week but i didn't know how i could have talked about it without spoiling (laughs) that last page because that was a genuine out loud what the hell moment yes
1: yes well i mean you you sort of half expected it you have been expecting it but also not this
0: early not this early yeah yeah, maybe but then kirkman kirkman kirkman's very like this with his writing he he does play the long game as well of course you know walking dead 193 issues invincible 144 etc etc but he does do he's not afraid to throw spanners in the works really early in stories like this is something i've noticed with us you know rereading walking dead and stuff like that and he even talks about it in the back of it of the issue saying like you know maybe i would have dragged that out a little longer this that mm, no yeah
1: yeah he's yeah i mean just, it was yeah yeah i mean i can't remember if we knew that i mean we knew that chen zool you know was in the prelude graphic novel and the owen, he was the first person that owen hit with a fireball ever and he still carries the scars of that that uh cliffhanger was great I, i'm not going to spoil it but i mean i thought the stuff between owen and his wife Owen and his family was great as well you know owen this a lot of this is about Owen's past coming back to haunt him uh maybe not in the way that he necessarily expected and owen's wife i mean that's one of the great things about this book is the fully formed supporting characters mm-hmm You know, so Owen's Owen's wife can't, she can't blame him for having a past. No one can be blamed for having a past, but he can be, he can change how that affects them now, and and, and although he's a fighter, he needs to, he's learned something from his family, he needs to stop being so reckless, reckless as he was whenever he was a kid training in the monastery, you know, so he's got, he's got something else to fight for, and that that cliffhanger obviously is going to be a bit of a sticking point between Owen and and, and his wife and how it affects the family is going to be interesting. Regardless, I mean how you, Owen might react, you know, it just it's really really good. I love I love how they're exploring ancient kung fu stuff, but it's not inaccessible. It's not too cheesy. It's uh it's just it's just great. And Chris Samney's Chris Samley's art is great. Matt Wilson's colours in the sky. Whenever they were fighting in the sky, there there doesn't seem to be a lot to draw or colour, but they oh, just they, they just really made the. This is a book all about motion as well. I think
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know the you know martial arts are all about motion, and this book continues to move forward with a with a speed that. But yeah, and the reds and blues. You know the sky turned red whenever Owen launched a fireball, and then it was back to blues and greys. Just uh, it, was, it was very, 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 very good. Very good indeed. Um, definitely a, a big time, big time delivery. Huge action. Finish things off with more world building and character building. Uh, just a just yeah. It seemed to yeah. Just a lovely. I suppose that balanced. You know, it's two extremes that are balancing each other, right? But yeah, just just great stuff. <laughs> great stuff.
0: Well, even just with myself reading Invincible at the moment, you can just see how much Kirkman just nails family dynamics. And that, you know, you can see it in Invincible. You could see it in Walking Dead all the time. And then, of course, in this book. I mean, it would have been easy to do this book and... You know, have owen keeping his past life a secret from his family the kids not knowing there's always that danger lurking of them finding out mm-hmm. but even that he twists on his head really early by going like yep, yep here's my past guys uh, i'm gonna teach the kids how to fight so they can defend themselves yeah yeah you know all this kind of stuff so it's just such a good book and yeah it's two trades deep so far because the first one counts as a prologue but it's still a fully mm-hmm. formed graphic and then volume one's out, which is issues one to six, I believe, and we're halfway through this second slash third arc. Mm-hmm, Kirkman mm-hmm. just likes confusing us, so
1: yeah. I mean, if you're if you're not on this, you're really missing a trick. I mean, yeah. you really are. It's just it's it's fabulous action. It's heartfelt character development and character moments. It's just, it's it's great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. And and I, I suppose you could call it superhero adjacent, couldn't you?
0: Yeah, I think that's yeah, fair. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just in the real world. You know, there's definitely superhero uh, feelings to it as well. So yeah, Firepower, Not on it. Get on it. It's one of those indie titles that ever since it launched, the numbers in our store anyway have only ever went up. No one has ever read some of it. Went no, oh, that's okay, and dropped it. Like people are coming to it late, and uh, and it's going up. So. Yeah, so that is going to do it for the 3rd of March. So Keith's pick there, Firepower number 9 from Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney. So we're just going to take a very quick little break and then we'll be back with our 10th of March picks. So we are back and now we're going to be looking at releases that came out on the 10th of March. So... Uh, a little bit more back to respectability this week in terms of our pull list numbers. So, or maybe not respectability is the wrong word, maybe just it's more the standard amount. So for me, it was 27 in total. And in a massively surprising turn of events, DC was my least this week with seven, uh, Marvel was 10, and Indie was 10. What about yourself, Keith? What were your numbers? Uh, I
1: had 21 books this week in a massively non surprising turn of events. Uh, Marvel was my most. Uh, <laughs> with seven i had eight dc uh seven and and one marvel trade paperback which was spider-man by todd mcfarlane
0: well that was an and- interesting one because i had i've started doing a feature now in the youtube show every week where i'll go through all the graphic novels we get in on a weekly basis for the store and uh, that was one of the ones that i had showcased and I It wasn't too long after I put the video up, I got a wee message going, nah, I might just have to take that uh, Spider-Man trade <laughs> off your hands.
1: That, uh, that's ex- I've got a wee feature weekly now where I sit and watch the YouTube show and make a list, <laughs> uh, which, you know, whenever I'm trying to save for a house is not
0: useful. It's okay. I, <laughs> I won't tell, Brona. That's okay. good. It's all
1: good. But uh, yeah, so uh, it's funny. Whenever, you know, back in sort of the early days, I was, you know, you kind of, You could pick up titles, higgledy-piggledy off the newsagent rack, you know what I mean? And you were never getting, you know, the consecutive issues or whatever. So I've got a lot of those. But but Marvel UK, as they were at the time, started uh, publishing a book called Complete Spider-Man, which collected all four issues of a given month of uh, Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, and uh, Adjective-less Spider-Man. And that's where I first read uh Todd McFarlane. Uh Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. That's where I saw it. But I never caught the first maybe issue or two of Torment, which was the the storyline featuring Calypso and uh the lizard and Spider-Man that kicked off uh Todd McFarlane's run on, on Spider-Man uh, at, at that time. So or certainly to Spider-Man. So yeah, whenever I saw that trade, I thought, God, it'd be nice to have that. I've got bits and pieces of it all, you know, in in, in different issues of complete Spider-Man and I thought it'd be nice to have it all together. And uh, of course I picked it up and uh, as soon as I'd finished my pull list this week, I was like, Oh, I'll get into that goodness. And I'm really, really enjoying it. Uh, Really enjoying the, the, it's really brutal, really brutal. It's, you know, that's whenever they started referring to Spider-Man as the Arachnite because It was definitely going down, you know. Todd McFarlane stuff definitely had a wee bit of a darker turn to it, uh, for for sure. The best webs that Spider-Man's ever had, Todd McFarlane webs. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. A couple issues into to Torment, and and uh, so I'm glad I picked that up. Glad I picked that up.
0: Well, that's that's pre the formation of Image. Todd McFarlane, isn't it? Isn't this when you know Marvel were at their strongest in terms of. Artists, you know, they had Rob Liefeld this knocking was, it out. They yeah. had Tom McFarlane, Eric this Larson. This was Todd
1: McFarlane making his name. Todd McFarlane. Yeah. this is what made Todd McFarlane. So, yeah, absolutely, for sure. So, yeah, you're right. It was, it was, it was pre-image. Um, but yeah, it was good, good stuff. I can't remember what year. I can't remember what year it was, but
0: it must have been late eighties, s- early nineties then. Yeah, I want to say early nineties. Yeah, formation of Image was ninety two, so it would it would have to be around then. So yeah i mean i I, as soon as you you obviously picked it up i reordered it in so it's back in stock again i think that'll become a bit of a staple of the store now and Uh, so it should so it should and definitely a run i'll get to at some point after invincible because 144 issues (laughs) Invincible. to go. <laughs> I, have no, <laughs> I have no worry about burning through it though because it's just that good so yeah so we're going to go through them uh, again in terms of honorable mentions and then get to our picks of the week so uh, same again we'll go through a DC Marvel indie. so a couple of DC ones uh, thoughts to like this week and were worth chatting about the first one was uh, an anthology book which was released uh, because as Keith well knows you can never have enough Batman books so this was uh, Batman Urban Legends, brand new number one. This is going to be a six-issue mini series. What they're doing with this is, and certainly based on the first issue, there was four individual stories in here, and the idea is that they're looking not just at Batman, but looking at different characters within Gotham. Certain stories are going to continue, certain stories are going to be one-shot. So, the main reason I was looking forward to this so much is because, you know, our good friend Chip Zdarsky was writing one of the, the issues, and also Matthew Rosenberg was writing one. So, Matthew Rosenberg did a great job with a a Grifter storyline in Dark Detective of Future States. So it's great to see him back with Grifter in this one. Uh, It's a story uh, called Grifter in the Long Con. That's going to be one of the sequential issues. It's going to be five parts in total. Ram Benjamin on art there. You also had The Outsiders in The Caretaker, which is going to be a uh, three-part story written by Brandon Thomas, art by Mark Max Dunbar. You had a Harley Quinn Poison Ivy one shot called New Roots written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Laura Braga. And then the one that definitely stood out the most to me in terms of reading the issue as well was Red Hood and Batman in Cheer, which is Chip Zdarsky writing and Eddie Barrows and Eber Ferrara on art. And I thought the Red Hood story was exceptional and it's because it reintroduced an element in the Batman that I've been missing ever since issue 77. Can you tell me what that element is?
1: oh oh uh the red hood storyline i i don't know it don't has
0: know. alfred uh, of course it does we, we haven't yes, had Alfred. i mean the, the book itself you know there's, there's a really good design to the book because on the back page there's a, a really cool image of red hood and there's a quote from alfred which is he idolized you master bruce and you let him down we let him down Mm-hmm. And, you know, bringing Alfred back in as that steady voice in Bruce's ear, you don't realise how much you miss Alfred until he's not around. Uh, obviously in Tom Keane's run he unfortunately met a, a an untimely demise at the hands of Bane. But I just thought the the Red Hood story especially was exceptional, you know, and how it ended as well. Like, Zdorsky is not afraid to... It, it amazes me the writer that Zdorsky is. I don't know whether I why I ever doubted him, but you always saw him as the funny guy, you know what I mean? And the persona he adopts, but he is such a good writer at exploring dark themes, uh, exploring themes of loneliness, of you know the divide between parents and kids. You know, it, oh, I just this Red Hood story I thought was exceptional, and how it ended was a real surprise. And you can tell that Red Hood's going to be carrying the the same level of guilt in this that uh, our good friend Matthew Murdoch is carrying in Daredevil.
1: Mm, I believe so. It's something that something that Chip specializes
0: in clearly. Very much so. Uh, the the two middle stories for me, you know, take them or leave them a little bit. I think that's sometimes a problem with anthologies. There's there's going to be certain ones that really stand out, and there's going to be other ones that you feel are maybe making up the numbers. But the Grifter one the,
1: was great. The the Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy story looked great. Yeah, uh, Laura well, Braga, I yeah. thought it I thought it looked lovely, and I mean, I don't wince whenever I see Harley Quinn anymore. Uh, Stephanie Phillips is, of course, you know, um. um a master of her craft um so i mean i i thought that was i thought that was that was great I, the thing about the the outsider storyline was that when well, i'm a wee bit more interested in the character of black lightning katana doesn't interest me a terrible lot mm-hmm. um i don't know there, there wasn't there wasn't a lot grabbing me but the grifter storyline was was where it was at for me <laughs> uh, and i'm i'm glad that that's that's a five-part story uh, we're exploring a wee bit of of Grifter's background. I think we're pulling in a wee bit of the Wildstorm uh, stuff. Whenever you you start to to look at some of the uh, the names that have been been pulled in and some of the history that's been pulled in. Um, but yeah, I really I really enjoyed I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed seeing seeing Grifter up against Batman. It was just <laughs> it was great to be fair. He held his own. Did all right. That uh, crotch shot that he tried to make at Batman clearly shows it that batman wears a, a very <laughs> a very very strong you know jockstrap box uh they're under his uh, under his costume but uh but yeah it's uh i really enjoyed it really enjoyed it
0: do you not just read grifter's dialogue in the voice of sawyer out of lost like he would have made a great grifter and he even played a yeah. con man in Lost as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a there's a bit of that about him. And actually, now you mention it, you're exactly right, Alan. He would have been he would have made he would make a great grifter. Uh, but I also there's a wee bit of uh, there's a wee bit of hockey about him as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, as well, yeah, definitely. He's uh, yeah. so I'm in, I'm really I'm really pleased to see grifter being firmly established within the 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 Gotham verse. Uh, yeah. For sure.
0: Well, that's it. He's in Tinian's run as well. Of course, he's working as a hired bodyguard to Lucius Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and that features that features in here as well. And uh, it was also nice to see uh, to see Nightwing appear in the last page of that particular story, because Nightwing and Grifter side by side, that's going to be fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, so overall, I thought it was a really good anthology. I thought the, the two lead stories for me of Red Hood and Grifter were, were definitely a lot of fun and or very dark and interesting like red hood was. I do recommend going back and looking at Matthew Rosenberg's Twitter, the week this came out because he just kept uploading all these different memes where he was putting a, a grifter mask on things going, buy this book, buy this book, buy this book. I need to push I this saw book. That. good for him, good for him. <laughs> um yeah, hefty price tag, but but good
1: book, good book. Um more like than to dislike, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. So you, I, I didn't feel shortchanged by the price point, but just because those two stories were so good, you know. So uh, I'll definitely be continuing with the four of the six issues, just for the Zdorsky story. But I see the Grifter story as five parts as well. So that's mm-hmm. welcome news. Yeah. And then the other DC one we wanted to chat about uh, was Rorschach. It's a title that's getting more and more love on this podcast, I think, as it goes on. I think the first few issues we almost weren't sure what to fully make of it, but as as I think you said last time we chatted about it, it's a book that gets better issue to issue.
1: Yeah, I mean definitely, and and this this issue definitely holds to that particular pattern. Um, it it doesn't feel like a DC comic uh, in any way, shape, or form. Um, I don't think it feels uh, like a
0: Vertigo title to me. It feels like
1: a Cohen movie to me sometimes. Cohen Brothers movie. Uh, but it's i'm starting it's starting to really I feel like one of the best books around yeah <laughs> you know uh, just because it has got so so good it's it it's it's really gritty and and realistic and you know which is which is where i mean apart from the lead characters where it relates to the watchman universe you know the idea of, of superheroes existing in in real life and we're, we're starting to see a wee bit of delivery on the mystery that the first, I guess, the, you know, the, the front end set up for us. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was there was a lot going on. It always feels like a chunky read. You know what I mean? Where where, where some books, you know, you, you whiz through because of the speed of the dialogue or because of the the, the pace of the book. This always feels like a like a real like a, you're taking some time over it. Yeah. Um
2: it's yeah.
0: interesting as well even just the art style there's lots of splash pages but they're not done for you know normally a splash page in a comic is like something that would look it's a dynamic action shot or something like that but there's lots in this because this issue is predominantly taken up with uh the exchange of uh letters from uh, a younger girl to an older man you know obviously well, two very lonely yeah. souls um you know you've got a creator basically and a fan essentially But uh, they start getting on more and more, and they reveal more and more about their personal lives throughout the letters. But you'll have sections in it art-wise, as I say, which are splash pages. And there was one that really stood out to me. It was was the equivalent, I suppose, of a double-page spread. But it was essentially the girl. It was showing where they were in their lives, I suppose. And the girl was just sitting uh, at the top of this abandoned pool, You know, obviously making it out that she's a bit more of a you know, carny lifestyle or a poor lifestyle, I suppose. Which, of course, we know she has. Exactly. And, you know, then you're seeing him walking down like a packed street in New York. And the the depth of the art in this, like Jorge Fornes's art in this is incredible. <laughs> That's lovely. Like, it's lovely. It's Just give him all the noir books. Him and Sean Phillips should just do all the noir books, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got Laura
1: here, who is the, you know, the... The girl you're talking about. So what what we're seeing here in this issue is the the first meeting and what led up to the first meeting between Will Mayerson, the the Steve Ditko esque, uh, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Uh, comic comic artist and 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 Laura, who you know, so these two will become the masterminds of the assassination plot that kicked off they the kicked story. Kicked off issue one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, we knew that we knew from the start that these two were you know, had a connection or or more than that before what happened at the convention, they, they, they attempted assassination, but we never knew how deep that connection was until we see this exchange of letters, uh, with both of them, as you say, at at lows or at loose ends and and maybe saving each other, giving each other a purpose. Um, we've seen a wee bit of Will's background. We've seen quite a lot of Laura's background now. Yeah, Yeah. Um, the mystery the, well the kind of sort of well i suppose we saw a bit more of that is is where exactly rorschach comes in or who rorschach is or or what's you know that's the that's the thing you know which i think it's interesting because you know whenever tom king whenever this was advertised was going oh rorschach rorschach and rorschach is kind of background right now yeah you're not as interested in rorschach as, as you may be aware so yeah great book great book um
0: Great yeah, cover to, as well. Great yeah, cover. Yeah,
1: and and I'm do. I am starting to see the certainly the connections in the direction of the the Watchmen TV series as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, very very good. Very good indeed.
0: Yeah, just a uh, book that gets better. That's us reaching the midpoint of it with issue six. It it will of course be a a twelve issue mini series, but yeah, very slow, very deliberate storytelling. Maybe the kind of storytelling that uh, appears to or appeals, I should say, to older causers like ourselves. Is it? Would you Would you say it's a like
1: a suspense thriller?
2: I
0: I, I would look at it as a political noir. Is is okay. sort of how I look at it. You've you've obviously got the this background plot as well of you know a presidential election of. You know, of course, Watchmen has always been a universe that bent the rules of the real world. So just in it where Nixon got three terms, you've got President Redford trying to get a fourth term here. Mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. you've got this other one, Turley, going up against them, and so forth. So there's a lot of political stuff at, at play here as well. But yeah, just a really impressive book. And the, the biggest compliment I can give it is I, I enjoyed the first couple issues, but then I, it, it never went towards the top of the pile. But ever since issue five, it's started going to towards creep. the top yeah. of the pile, uh-huh. so yeah, for sure. It's for moving sure. up and moving up, but as, uh, say, as you
1: know, I prefer that deferred, uh, that deferred gratification uh-huh. uh, of uh, <laughs> some, of randomly, randomly uh, goes <laughs> to the bottom sort of the pile. <laughs> well, it, uh, it, it 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 doesn't it isn't a favourite or otherwise, yeah, in a complimentary uh, way, of course, uh-huh, of course, yeah, absolutely.
0: But yeah, as I say, that's the kind of book that appear, appeals to old codgers like ourselves. Now, the next book as we move on to Marvel, this felt like the first. I don't want to say modern comic books, maybe that's the wrong term, but this feels like it was written for a different generation than ours, Keith. And this was a jumping-on point for me. Uh, I had left Amazing Spider-Man for a little while, though I actually have picked up the Trades of Last Remains. I'm going to go back and read those. But we're hitting Amazing Spider-Man number 61 uh, here. So Nick Spencer, Patrick Gleason taking over full-time art duties. And the front cover uh, promises new costume, new job, new spider era begins here. What is the thought behind this new suit, Keith, and why do I feel so old reading this? The thought behind the new suit is that
1: the thought the suit has been provided to Spider-Man by the uh, Threats and Menaces uh, streaming news site. Uh, so
0: they're the more modern version of the Daily Bugle, if you will. Well, yeah,
1: exactly, which uh, run by Nora Wenders, who used to be an intern at the the Daily Bugle back in the day. So there, there is some Spider history here. Uh, and which employees, uh are the self CMJ Jonah Jameson, uh, and it, it's it is what it is. It's a it's it's a a clickbait sort of a thingy, isn't it? You know, yeah. but but their next their newest thing is they've got this Spider Man suit, and this this suit will allow them to see through Spider Man's eyes, and will effectively make Spider Man a motif of threats and menaces, and and all of that sort of stuff. So that is the origin of the suit. I'm one issue into the new suit, and I am really looking forward to seeing the blue and red back. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's to me, I, I don't like it. I don't like the suit. Don't like the suit. Uh,
0: I mean, there that- is there is some long form storytelling certainly being told here, though, with uh, Spider Man and his roommate, who, of course, he's gotten close to, who is, you know, an erstwhile villain, so to speak
1: fred mayerson the uh, the boomerang the boomerang as he is, is an australian an australian super villain a uh, long-term super villain actually was the super villain one of the first comic book sing spider-man singles i ever uh, acquired from my, my cousin Daryl. uh so yeah so and but fred's a fred's a screw up fred's a screw up and
0: and it's interesting uh, in this seeing him as a source of peter's weakness by mm-hmm. the end of the issue now as much as i'm talking about obviously the uh the social media aspect of it and the live streaming and the Twitch generation and all this kind of stuff. The reason I will stay on this is none of that, but the fact that you've got Keenpin and bullseye Mm in here. So you've got a lot of classic stuff. Obviously my exposure to Keenpin recently has been through daredevil. I actually see Keenpin as more of a daredevil, you know, I suppose through one form of media or another, you know, you even go back to the Affleck daredevil movie. Keenpin was the villain. You go Mm -hmm. to the daredevil TV show, keen pin's the villain but mm-hmm. Kingpin's never been in a spider-man movie but yet, it was amazing spider-man 50 i think was the first appearance of Kingpin. so yep. i've never really seen him as a spider-man villain is are there any classic stories you would recommend like yeah uh,
1: i am ab- no i absolutely would and um, and one of them is being heavily referenced in this issue and we're looking at the run-up to what is going to be the spiritual or direct sequel to that storyline. And that is the, I can't remember what it was, what the story was called, um, but it's about the lifeline tablet. Mm-hmm. So the lifeline tablet was the story that brought Kingpin into Spider-Man's orbit in the first place. Uh, and they're, they're following that up, which is why Kingpin is such a huge part. Now or becoming a huge part again of the way they're reclaiming him as a Spider-Man villain, uh, because Kingpin is in search of the lifeline tablet. And we know that that is associated with Gog, who's the wee, Creature that they've adopted Fred and, and, and Peter have adopted in their apartment so that that's where we're going That's where spider-man is going over the next two or three months is, is and you can see the, You can see that so it, 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 it flashes back to some stuff previously with Nick Spencer with Fred Myers and Boomerang uh, Kingpin has assembled a, a whole group of, uh, of crime bosses uh, including tombstone the Isle, crime master uh, it looks like the hood, uh, Mr. Negative, uh, in order to find the Lifeline tablet and to kill off Fred Myers. And meanwhile, we see uh, Spider-Man and Boomerang in search of the final pieces of the Lifeline tablet. So that one page is the most important page in this book uh, for with, where Spider-Man is, is, is going to be going. And the other thing that maybe isn't clear from this book is that Fred is Peter Parker's roommate. Boomerang is... Well, Spider-Man is, is Boomerang's um, reluctant team-up buddy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but Fred doesn't realise that Peter is Spider-Man. He doesn't realise that his team-up buddy is also his housemate. <laughs> so there's 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 some stuff going on there. But yeah, so I yeah I, I don't know I, I I I enjoyed it. I the more I think about it, the more I enjoyed it. I just I don't like the idea of Spider-Man being almost Booster Goldesque, yeah. you know, and advertising for threats and menaces and all of that all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean um, there's a
0: few uncomfortable parts in the book where he's being told to say advertising slogans and stuff like that. And you're just thinking, Peter's more dignified than this, I've always yeah, thought. Yeah. You know what I mean? So- you've
1: got, yeah. Yeah. It's just he's just you know, after the whole uh, this was a real tonic to the the whole Last Remain stuff, which mm. was great. It was very, very dark. Very, very dark. Uh, and a dark time for, for Peter. So he needs this, he need this likeness. And again, you can see how easily Nick Spencer switches gears between the dark and the light on Spider-Man and how easily the character can switch gears. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think this will last for long. You know, either the costume or the, or or Nora Winters and JJ chatting in his ear the whole time. Mm. You know, it's, uh, yeah. But
0: uh, yeah, I, I though no, overall I enjoyed it. Overall I enjoyed it, I have to say. Well, moving from that lightness and straight into the dark, uh, we have another title that we've probably been mentioning since issue one, and is a Marvel title I will never drop, uh, regardless of who's writing, but absolutely loving the Zdarsky run on Daredevil. Again, very close to being my pick of the week, but I decided... Let's not talk about Daredevil again. But here we are talking about Daredevil again. (laughs) Interestingly placed, uh, this is the first title that has come out that is set uh, after the events of Keenan Black. And the reason we know that is because Typhoid Mary is recovering in hospital. She, of course, was taken over by Null and by the symbiotes and so forth. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that goes into detail there about how she felt powerless and you know, how she was taken over and that kind of stuff. But as well as that, you've got oh my god, how bad did this get for Matt in prison? Mm-hmm. The, like, a little tiny scene in this of someone trying to befriend him and talk to him in the cafeteria, and that character's ultimate fate by the end of the book that Matt then feels guilty for because Matt mm-hmm. realizes he was the lawyer that put this guy in jail. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, oh my god, like, yeah. like does does Chip hate Matt Murdock or something? I know Catholic guilt is a huge part of Matt Murdock's persona, but holy moly, he has been put through the rigor in this
1: well, run. He's got someone here who's trying to help him, the prison doctor. Yeah. Is trying to is trying to help him. Not not just directly, but tell him he really needs help. And and part of the reason he really needs help is because he thinks he's he's responsible for everything. Yeah. You know, as Matt Matt's sense of, of guilt here is just absolutely over overwhelming, overwhelming him. Yeah. You know, and she's just she just goes you are, you know. He says, I told you, I'm fine. She goes, if you're sitting across from me, you're not. <laughs> I've told you, you're That's yeah. just, yeah. She, you know, so that's that's really interesting. There's some good action in here, some good exploration of what it means to be Daredevil wearing his mask in prison. And, you know, he's making a big deal of this and whether or not he made the right choice, whether or not there's, there's a, a, I guess there's a wee bit of an exploration about Matt's privilege, Despite the fact he's in prison, he's in prison by his own choice. Yeah, you know, and and, and his lawyer, uh, who also happens to be his ex-girlfriend, um, and and that didn't end well, is saying, you know, why you you're sitting here taking up prison resources for someone who, you know, should be here. You're you're you know she 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 stops short at calling him like greedy yeah. or entitled. Uh, so yeah, and I'm I'm really interested as well in the, the relationship that is developing between Elektra and Alice.
0: Yeah, the little girl she saved yeah. during uh, King and Black.
1: During King and Black, yeah, for sure. Then you've got um,
0: Ping going back to basics as well with his uh, proclamation on the issue of let's go kill Daredevil. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, it's a book just full of really good small moments like you were talking there about the privilege that Matt has of being able to have his mask in prison and mm-hmm. there's a part where he wakes up And the prison guard sees his face, and the prison guard's just like, "I don't give a fuck who you are, buddy. Get dressed." (laughs) You know. So it's, it's just a really, really brilliant book. I think Uh, issue to issue, but like, oh my god, please, you know, give Matt a break somewhere along the line here, Chip. Come on.
1: Yeah, Matt. I mean, it's Matt doesn't he doesn't get a break here. I know, and I'm very happy to see that you finally picked up the Brubaker run.
0: Yeah, uh, I've got five yeah. volumes of that to jump into. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think you'd put it down as, uh, you know, Daredevil is probably the most noir of the Marvel street-level superheroes. And who better to write noir than Ed Brubaker? Damn um, straight. So, but, yeah, even just the, the way this issue ended with Matt so calmly, you know, quick spoiler here, but, you know, he's sitting eating in the uh, in the cafeteria, and uh, the, the guy he's talking to is like, are you okay? And he goes, I, no. And then, I'm not okay. I know this now, but even worse, Marcus, I've just been poisoned. <laughs> just and that was interesting. I mean, that, why did How did Matt
1: not smell poison before he put it in his mouth? Uh...
0: The only thing I can think of is that that scene directly follows his breakdown in the doctor's office when he thinks he's responsible for uh, that inmate's ultimate fate. So I think it's a case of he's just he's just even more vulnerable than he's even been, and mm-hmm. his, his mind's mm-hmm. elsewhere. So. Um, and it does happen quite quickly as well. The food's in front of him, and then he takes a bite, and then realizes. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah, it. Oh, I'm glad to see that this didn't get pushed back the way some of the other titles did that are affected by Keenan Black, because I was obviously highly praising of the fact of how Daredevil slotted into Keenan Black effortlessly mm-hmm. without interrupting its own narrative, and I think yeah, it did yep, that brilliantly. Yep. So, cool. Um, so yeah, Daredevil twenty eight, another great issue again. It almost feels like pigs fly. Uh, uh, Pigs were flying last week. Uh, A title (laughs) finally came out about a year later. Uh, Why don't you take point on this one? Nonstop Spider-Man number one.
1: Uh, Joe Kelly, uh, Chris uh, Baclow and Dale Eaglesham. Uh, I loved this. Uh, I absolutely loved it. It was action-packed. It was pulse-pounding. It was of adrenaline it just it, it as as its name implies from the very very start it did not stop <laughs> it was there's a there's a mystery at empire state university that fires spider-man into an adventure that starts in uptown manhattan and it just goes from there it uh, it, it was like what did you call that 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 movie with
0: uh your man that you're thinking of crank aren't you
1: Crank, that's the one. Yeah, it felt a wee bit like that. Um, but and 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 Chris Baglow's art just just suited it suited it fine. And it's funny the last the last book I saw him on was Doctor Strange, and there's a one panel we uh, well a two panel technically cameo of uh, Doctor Strange and Zelma on the second page. Um, it's just you know he, he smashes out a Peter smashes out a window, and then you know he's all about getting all the glass and web balls. So down in the street, these web balls are just boinking people in the <laughs> head full of glass, you know. It was, and it just it just went and it went. Um and it's all about, you know, angry. Starts off angry and ju- it's just motion and it's just kinetic. And it it just it goes in the same way as firepower does. Uh but then you've got a you've got a moment of, of quiet as we the only quiet you see is in the flashbacks, you know, at a, at a funeral I'm interested in where this is because it's been a long time since, since Peter's been at ESU at, at Empire State University. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. So and I don't know any of these characters.
0: Yeah, that's uh, what, either that, that was something I was going to ask you about because obviously you, you have a female foil for Peter. It's nearly always Mary Jane or you know Gwen Stacy that kind of thing. This this was a character I wasn't familiar with in any way. Nope. But nope. one thing I did really enjoy about it as well, which seems to be linked, and you had mentioned two artists there at the start. It's almost a, an issue with the backup story. Mm-hmm. And the backup story was uh, looking at Hydra and what it is and what, what represents Hydra in the modern world. And it has Baron Zemo in there. And mm-hmm. I thought this was great. This I actually preferred the backup story to the main story. Did you? I thought it was class. Like uh, Baron Zemo just comes across as such a playful psychopath in it. I thought it was really, really well written.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I have a, a lot of love for for Heinrich Zemo, uh, Baron Zemo too, as he is um, from the Thunderbolts. Uh, from my, my, my love of Thunderbolts, mm-hmm. um, where he played Citizen V. Um, but yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed that that whole idea that you know these, uh, you know, I don't know these corporate types were had decided that. With with a certain lingo, Hydra was going to be a completely different thing, and Zemo comes in old school and goes, "Nope, that's not what it is." Chop, chop. <laughs>
0: now, chop, who's next? Chop is definitely the word. yeah If he's not <laughs> severing fingers, he's severing heads. But yeah, I just really like the. Art. I mean, there was just something pleasingly old school about it. I mean, mm-hmm. Chris bacallo's artwork. Don't get me wrong; it's fantastic and and nonstop, but it's very sort of modern art with you know slanted panels and mm-hmm, interesting mm-hmm, page layouts. Mm-hmm. Whereas this felt very classic, this felt very winter soldier era yeah, yeah, to me,
1: yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've got that. So but yeah, I'm really I'm really interested in in who the villains are. I'm really interested in who Kelly is and, and who Austin Mulvaney was and this new drug that's that's on the streets and so yeah A plus, I believe it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. but just it was just it was it was just I don't know, you'd you wouldn't want to have too much coffee, I think, before you read it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember the uh the blurb for it back in previews was something akin to that. You know, don't read this if you have a heart condition and you can kind of see where they were coming from with it. So Yeah,
1: no, exactly. But yeah, edgy your seat, high octane sort of stuff. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely enjoyed it. Lot of lots of humour as well, and there's humor in, in, in Chris Bacchulou's art. Uh, but yeah, it was just it is what it is. What it said in the ten, it was non-stop action, very solid start, very solid. I'm, I'm interested to see because apparently this is going around the world yeah so we're taking spidey around the world so i'm interested to see uh but yeah well i Both. mean if he's yeah, non-stop
0: he's gonna run out of road in new york so of course he has the end up elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's gonna okay. be a five issue mini i believe so yeah non-stop spider-man number one so a couple of other marvel ones that deserve a shout out the latest issue of eternals came out so this is Karen gillen and esad Ribic. i enjoy eternals but i find that when i finish an issue i don't remember a lot of it if that makes sense you know we, mm-hmm. we obviously read so many comics and certain you know issues will stick with you or certain moments will stick with you and i enjoy eternals as i read it but i don't know it's it's not quite grabbing me just yet
1: i mean it's it's still the best looking book on the shelves uh isaac said is hard to look past for sure and i think i said last time we talked about this you know that the grandeur of his art uh you know it's like fucking the coliseum of of art you know it's it's really the opposite of non-stop spider-man which is just bang 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 it's all massive and an epic but no I, I mean i i'm really i'm really enjoying this we're we, we've seen we're seeing a, a lot of information you're they're, they're building if you don't know who the eternals are that it's really starting to yeah, build that there's, world there's for you there's a lot of
0: information to get across yeah there so I is, would agree with that. you know
1: uh 100 percent and you know, when they're doing that, sometimes with the Hickman-esque, uh, you know, information pages or, or, or things like that. But I mean, the crux of it is that an eternal has been murdered. The prime eternal has been murdered. Uh, the machine that that uh, the resurrection machine of the maternals, the Eternals, is broken. So he's not back. Uh, Cersei has formed a, a group in order to investigate the. Uh, you know, Cersei's a schemer, they investigate a the death of, of of the prime eternal and uh, she's going after her prime suspect who is Marvel's version of Wonder Woman Athena. Um so that that's that's sort of pretty much it the, the outlier here is why Icarus is so interested in in uh, Toby what do you call him the, the random the random human boy uh, who he goes to his house and has coffee with his mother
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which is which is I love the dialogue I love that scene. Uh, where Icarus is in the the suburban house, and and, uh, and is is chatting about what is it that what is it he said? Uh, good, she goes good. Where the mother goes good. We're on the same page. But how do we know that your being here isn't a problem? The chances of the Silver Surfer or someone flying through the house to punch you is much higher right now. And uh, the the husband goes, I think the Silver Surfer is a good guy, Sophia. She goes, I've dated enough surfers in college to know never trust a surfer.
0: That was a good line, in fact.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Icarus and, and and the machine says, you know, the the I guess the the text box says, Icarus cannot deny the woman's truth. Flight is a thing of beauty. The pretension of doing it on a board is unbearable to him. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny. It is funny, despite that. Um, you know the grandeur of it uh, as well. So uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying exploring the Eternals and and seeing what's happening. You've got a list of uh, of the, the 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 deviant population on a double page spread. You know, it's page seven of ten thousand four hundred and sixteen. But I couldn't help but notice some really odd deviant names. Some really uh, there's a there's a deviant called Root Punch and a deviant called Potato Saber, <laughs> according to this list. But, uh, yeah, I know I enjoyed this issue maybe more so than any of the, the previous issues. It's good stuff.
0: Well, speaking of good stuff, we also had the latest issue of Conan hit this week, which is Conan the Barbarian number nineteen. So this was beginning a new arc titled "Land of the Lotus." So Jim Zub continuing to uh, work on this. You got pencils by Corey Smith as well. So this is coming off the back of the, uh, the Tooth of the Night Star storyline, which of course had Conan drunk with power, basically having to feed this blade that required death and sacrifice and blood he had to keep feeding it. So he was able to break the trance and it's interesting, this was an issue that began with Conan trying to be a good guy of returning the sword to where it came from the
2: night star yeah uh-huh.
0: and he just got completely screwed over <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and was captured and detained by soldiers who do everything from insult him to spit on him to treat him like dirt and uh a, a lot of this issue has conan in captivity but also striking up a friendship as well with a uh, a scholar named mywe, uh who wishes to know more of the chimerian story and Oof, this took a turn towards the end of the issue. It's,
1: yeah, it really did. I mean, it, I this is. I mean, it's the start of a new arc. There's resolutions from previous issues, but there's some staging for what's going ahead. Uh, it's it's Conan's quest in the land of the lotus, I believe, is what they're calling it. So it's. I guess this is uh, the, the 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 Conan version of of the of the Far East. Uh, sort of thing and there definitely it has those the, the, those sprinklings of, of of uh eastern culture um cory smith this is his first issue as, as the new penciler uh, yeah. and i think he looks great it. yeah
2: um
1: conan the whole time is planning his escape you know i don't know why they think they can cage the cimmerian because it's not going to happen you know it's not going to happen he's not going to stay that way for long he manages to kill a boy on the outside even whenever he's still in the cage
0: um i think this is a great jumping on point for conan yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it, there are certain Marvel books that you get a little bit of an intro on, uh, you know, on the first page. Marvel certainly do it more than DC. I think we've most spoke about it before. DC try to catch you up through dialogue, maybe on the first page, whereas Marvel are not afraid of a little almost previously on, and it'll mm-hmm. certainly catch you up straight away. But as you say, all you need to know about Conan going into this, you know, it's just that he's uh, an exceptionally brave, skilled, hardcore, old school warrior essentially and that's it but yeah i mean jim zub's a great fit for the book as well you know he's essentially a walking conan historian you know knows the the character inside and out uh you know obviously jason iron kicked this run off and while sad to see him you know leave the title uh he has left it in very very good hands so conan's another one for me goes to the top of the list and again just in case anybody hasn't really listened to us before I was very, very late to the party and, you know, always regretful of that. But thankfully, through listening to this podcast, I was recommended it. So it was all good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it continues to be a great title, uh, Conan the Barbarian. So, yeah, hitting issue 19 there. And, and as Keith says, a good jumping on point if you fancy a little bit of a swords and sorcery. And then one last one to finish off with. This is all you. Yeah,
1: no, this is, and I'll not spend too long on it, Star Wars 12 Charles Soule and uh, Ramon Rosan- Rosanos uh, are on Operation Starlight, reflections of the part part four, Reflections of the Lost. So Starlight Squadron are part of the the, the, the rebellion. Their first mission ends in disaster. Commanded Zara, who was eager to destroy the, the scattered rebel's fleet, sprung a trap that cost the squadron its leader, Shara Bey. The rest of the Starlight escape with their lives carrying crucial imperial data that could give the rebellion the edge they need to defeat the empire. So we've got a, we've got a very quiet issue here that is doing a couple of things, I think. It's setting up more of the bounty hunters. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's a quiet moment uh, here. Shara you know, it's it, and Charles Soule does this so well, you know, it's all bang, 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 bang. And then he just takes a minute just for a wee character piece. It just fits in nicely. It doesn't disrupt anything, so it's it's largely a conversation between uh, Princess Leia, who has lost Han. Han has has been frozen in carbonite. Little, little does she know, has been frozen in carbonite and has been taken to uh, has been taken to Jabba's palace, or at least is on the way there. And uh, we'll we'll for more of that, we'll we'll check in on more of the Boundary hunters in a couple of months. Uh, but also Kes uh, uh, Dameron, who is the father of Poe Dameron. Uh, and Cass's uh wife or uh, or or partner is Shara Bay who is the captured the captured uh Starlight Squadron leader um so it's a conversation between Princess Leia and and Kes Dameron uh, we we have a, a brief feature of Poe uh, as a child there and uh you know she talks about he talks about how uh how he met his, his wife you know uh, whenever he was he was betting on a race at uh, Galator 3 and and so forth. And uh, meanwhile, Leia, you know, they, they talk about I guess Kess is showing Leia a, a hollow of, of Poe and uh, Leia says he's beautiful. And he, and, and Kess says, uh, well, a beautiful disaster. Maybe he's been a handful since the day he was born. And Leia says a beautiful disaster. I like that. I've got a beautiful disaster of my own, <laughs> obviously referring to Han. But uh, but where he relates, how he met his wife, she relates. Uh, an episode back in Hoth, the ice planet, at Echo Base before the, the attack. You know, when Han hates the cold, he's always complaining about the cold, and yet he saves the base. You know, he, he risks his life to save the base, uh, knowing that it needs to be saved, despite the fact he would gladly see the place burn because he hates being there. <laughs> but it's uh, that's just a great it's a great character piece, a lovely, quiet interlude. Um yeah, it moves the story. It moves the story forward. So yeah, this is this continues to be a great book, Star Wars, by Charles Soule.
0: You never know; one day you may just convince me, just like you did with Conan. It never may know. happen. It may happen. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it for the Marvel side of things. So just a few indie ones to throw some shoutouts for before we hit our picks of the week. So. One of the benefits of indie books for me is that sometimes I'll read an issue one, really enjoy it and then just let a few issues pile up and that's what I did with this title which uh, issue four came out of this week which was Knock em Dead. This is an aftershock title, five issues long, written by Elliot Rahel and art by Mattia Monaco. Essentially Knock em Dead follows the story of a stand-up comedian or wannabe stand-up comedian who just frankly is not very good. And in the first issue, he's in a in a car accident with his best friend, who's like one of the most effortlessly funny guys you'll ever meet. If you come to the store, he's like Jared. That's all you need to know. Effortlessly funny guy, and he dies, and somehow his spirit then inherits the main character. And therefore he's able to be funny. But this comes at a price, and you know the, 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 the spirit within him's trying to take over and it's making him unstable and it's making him sick. So because I read a couple of issues in a row, issue three ended with them using an exorcist to get rid of the ghost, but it's just as he's about to have like his big break on the equivalent of, say, Jay Leno or something like that. So they use the... Uh, really funny, that's not actually an issue four, but in issue three, they get rid of the spirit, then use the exorcist to then put a spirit back into the body of uh, the stand-up comedian's favorite ever, favorite ever comedian, who uh, is like a Chris Rock-type character. But the problem is the exorcist then dies at the end of issue three. So he's stuck with his spirit. Uh, Just a really cool macabre. um, There's a lot of horror to this, but also a lot of humor as well. Uh, It also has the the stand-up comedian, the main character, I'm trying to remember his name, but he has a sister who basically acts as his manager as well. And she's just a well of bad advice. So she is. She just consistently tells him, we need to pay the rent. You need to do this. You need to take this spirit into your body uh It's it's kind of like imagine the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix, but with a supernatural tint to it as well. So, ah. just a really fun AfterShock title. Like Ian AfterShock are doing some great work at the moment, and you know Keith, you'll be happy to know that at the back of *Knock 'Em Dead* number four, there's a uh, five-page preview for *Undone by Blood* as well. So, uh, lovely. Um, yeah, aftershock... did you read it? I did read the preview. I have the graphic, I believe, of the first, uh, the first volume, so I must get reading that. But yeah, knock 'em dead. Really cool little series. There's going to be f- one more issue for that, and then it's going to hit trade. So if that sounds good to you, you can always jump onto it in trade form. Here comes our inevitable AWA title mention. Next, uh, I think AWA is starting to become like boom, where there's a series mentioned every single pod. Redemption number 1, I think, was one of our picks of the week. It might have been my own, actually. Uh, Written by Krista Faust. Art by Mike Diodato Jr. This is Issue 2 of 5. And again, this is Mad Max meets a Western. And it is just a kick-ass title. Really enjoyed Issue 2. The famous old gunslinger is definitely modeled after Linda Hamilton. Oh, yeah. I I will say that. This is definitely Sarah Connor. If she was uh, out in the middle of the desert and was a, a storm Which, cold of course, killer. she was at the end of, of Terminator. This is true. This is There's true. a storm coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, issue two, there was some really good little plot twists. You know, she basically says that she won't help the main character come back and uh, help her mother out of a jam, but she'll lead her to some people who will actually help. Of course, there's the inevitable Western double cross, because you just know at the end of the day she's going to end up having to help this girl and uh-huh. yeah just a really cool series really really good world building within two issues deodato's uh deodato's art is awesome the whole way through all sun-kissed and sun-drenched western uh yeah really enjoying this
1: yeah i mean the only reason redemption number one was your pick was because you got there first uh, Yeah, uh, to be <laughs> fair but uh so yeah i mean it's it's a totally brutal post-apocalyptic sci-fi steampunkish western, and uh, I think that sort of sets you up, and then it, it goes down a bloody relentless. You know the 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 strong man that that uh, owns the town of Redemption, this little post-apocalyptic um, oasis. No, not even a great oasis in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he has taken a mat on against the doctor, and the doctor is uh, our protagonist's mother. So the the daughter goes in search of uh, of Cat Tanner, the butcher, in order to get uh, you know in order to save her save her mother. Now uh, Cat Tanner has history with the mother, I believe, and uh, I mean, as we can as we can see, and the whole thing just oozes. It's just style and attitude, you know. Kat is just world-weary and that contrasts nice with the younger Rose and her youthfulness, you know, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, just great. You know, we have the teach-me sort of scene, you know, and Kat and just can't help, but, you know, despite she's, she's trying to keep a distance, but that's not going to last very long, as you can see, and, uh, it's yeah. You know, the,
0: the more that bond is struck between the two, you just know she's going to, you know, relent and, and help, Uh, in whatever way she can so yeah just another great example of you know the different genres that awa tackle the fact that it's a a five issue mini series means you're not you know committing to 12 18 30 issues to to enjoy a narrative so um
1: some great uh some great themes in here as well some really there's a lot of there's a lot of depth i think in here um you know with regard to treatment of treatment of women and uh and and, and those rights and and that and, and data's art is phenomenal isn't it that's it's just a really great looking book uh as well
0: well that's it i mean and and we did speak about that with issue one that you know it is a very feminine driven story but it doesn't batter you over the head with it you know what i mean it's just these are kick ass characters. I don't look at them as kick ass female characters. They're just kick ass characters. You know mm, what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And it would be easy to have a book like this, maybe be a little bit preachy and a little bit, you know, maybe not have the substance or the cool world to back up, you know, the the mm-hmm. characters it's trying to portray. But it just does it effortlessly. And then, yeah, the art, the colors, the world, brilliant. Everything. Talent.
1: Everything. Nothing looks new. Everything's old and battered and, and lived in and yeah. and used. Yeah, absolutely. Including the characters. Yeah, uh, there's there's you know, history there. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love the you know anything with a wee bit of a western vibe. I'm I'm good with you know. Um, so yeah, I just I thought it was it was great. Lee Lee Lockridge is the
2: colorist I colors, think in this.
0: Yeah, worked with Snyder and Capullo a few times. Lee Lockridge I think did the colors for some of. The Batman U52 run, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, another well respected colorist.
1: And I mean, Krista Faust, the writer, has done a fantastic job of just plunking you in the world and it's making sure you recognize it. Yeah. You know, even if you're not familiar with it, you recognize it in some way. I don't know how she's done it, but it's, it's great, you know. Uh, and the action is just so,
0: you know, it's fast and brutal. <laughs> brutal is definitely the word to use. I think i mentioned it before, but Krista Faust did a really good. Another really good AWA title, which was called Bad Mother, which was very good, worth uh, worth yes, checking out. Worth checking out if you're enjoying Redemption. So yeah, another book that I really dug this week was uh, Proctor Valley Road. This was a brand new number one from Boom Studios. I knew they get a mention in there somewhere. This is the first uh, creator-owned title from Grant Morrison in some time. It's actually a co-creation with Alex Child, uh, who is more well-known for Holby City. Uh, The artist is Naomi Franquise who worked on Tales from Harrow County and colourist, you know, if if nothing else brings you to this book, Keith, it'll be the colourist. Our good friend Tamara Bond, villain, (laughs) so well known from uh, Once and Future. Once and Future and and a variety of other stuff. A lot of other stuff. So Proctor Valley Road, it essentially follows these four girls, uh, four teenage girls, uh, Cora, Riley, August and Jenny, And they organise this Quote, "Spook Tour," uh, which is on one of America's most haunted and monster-infested roads, Proctor Valley Road. This is actually this road actually exists, and it's been the focus of a lot of, you know, ghost documentaries and urban legends. And the girls basically are trying to lead these spook tours because they want to raise money just to go to a concert. You know, it's a very teenage motiva- motivation that you could understand. You know, back when you were a kid, you just wanted money for that night out sort of thing. So it has this sort of Stranger Thingsy vibe to it as well, uh, but you just know it's not going to end well. It's very much a, a a series for fans of something like Stranger Things, although there is a bit more menace to this, even more so than Stranger Things. But I would also describe it as an all ages book as well. It's sort of like a, a mini Stephen King book, I suppose, if you will. You know, it looks at small town America. Uh, it looks at friendship at, at those uh, at that age. So, yeah, just first issue I thought accomplished a lot. It, it made you feel, fall in love with these characters. There's some good action in there. Really clean art as well. Um, they divide the the issue in the chapters, which is a novel idea. You know, I love the chapter. One is called Janice Joplin started it because it's a Janice Joplin <laughs> concert they're trying to get to. So, yeah, really, dug this as a first issue. And if I may say so one of the most straightforward Grant Morrison titles you will ever read. What? Yeah, it, it just follows logically from one scene to another. It's, it's incredible. Uh, so yeah, Proctor Valley Road, I thought was really, really good. And then we've got a couple of titles to finish off with. I know you were enjoying, I have these titles lined up to read, but uh, haven't quite got there yet. Uh, why don't you tell us about The Last Witch? Oh
1: yeah, I mean, uh, Last Witch number three, uh, a second boom title. Uh, by Connor McCreary and VV glass this I mean the first two the, the, the first issue I think was my pick of the week the second issue was was up there as well and the third issue is right there um, again very very close to being to being pick of the week but I, 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 we're always fearful of repeating ourselves this was so strong uh, the characters are now after three issues are now fully formed as Nan and Sorsha and Bram make it to the village of Ballydulin in search uh, of Bruna, the water witch. Uh, so, Sorsha has realised she has this witch mark um, after the second issue, and we've realised the extent of her history and Nan's history and their connection to to these to these these witches and the 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 Kiliak, the, the, the the that they're trying to to resurrect, and Sorsha moves to. I guess, confront her most, her greatest foe yet, and there are consequences with regard to her family and, 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 and what what she wants, what, what she needs to achieve, but, but where that will take her. Uh, it's so, the, the idea of consequences, is just, it's so good. Uh, Connor McCreary's, writing is really charged emotionally and and, and V Glass or, you know the, the V Glass's art is matches that just, just wonderfully. It's just great. I mean the, the Celtic collections are are fantastic. Uh, it's it's set in Ireland that much is clear because uh if if things go wrong, Nan is to take the younger brother Bram to England. Uh yeah they very much there's a lot of talk about the the famine, the potato famine, you know, and stuff like that. So it's, it's very know, it's much. Oh, it's an Irish based story. Yeah, mention the potato famine. <laughs> so it's uh, it's that, but it, it's just and it. Sorcha is, is just this this wonderful, hero, um, along the lines of Bone, along the lines of of Canto, which you know where were about. It's just a, they re, she represents that, um. That heroic element and that fierce determination to to protect the people around us, or to that, that can that can that can live within all of us. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. Um, so it's just it's so it's so good. Um, just some just it's 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 and it looks gorgeous uh, and it, it's yeah, great book. Book. read read those read
0: those issues alan <laughs> oh i definitely will it was one of those ones that not enough issue ones were sent to the store so i always leave mm. myself to last but we got restocks at number one last week and uh you certainly talked roddy into it straight away because he jumped straight on the website and bought number one number two and number three and said stick it in the pull list so you know your reputation's on the line here again Kate. <laughs> well, I, i'm i'm happy to stand behind this one uh, <laughs> i'm happy to stand behind them all
1: to be fair but this is it's just great stuff. This is this is one that Vicky will love uh, as well. I've I've got to say, but each issue just builds on the previous with regard to the, you know, the mythology that they're they're building on, and also the story they're creating. It just it just builds and builds, and the stakes build and build, and the potential consequences. Yeah, I mean, this was again, this was very close to being pick of the week. Uh, if I hadn't picked it previously, I, it would definitely be up there. <laughs>
0: And then one last one you wanted to throw some some attention towards. I believe this is another Aftershock title, isn't
1: it? It is indeed. uh, And it is Scouts Honor number three. So also a third issue uh, by uh, David Pipose and Luca Casalaguida. So you're on this but you haven't read it yet or the
0: exact same thing i just described with last which happened with scouts honor where i didn't okay. have number ones but i now have the first three issues
1: um so it's again it's a post-apocalyptic book uh, maybe it's a maybe it's a thing but uh and without going too much into it the 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 the, the society that we're we're looking at is is based upon uh the scouts uh, hence the, team, the name Scouts Honor and they were they, they a fighting force based upon that, society's based upon it our protagonist is a character called Kit who has a secret uh, and as the series has progressed he has had suspicions about the Ranger Scout Society and is now in a position to undertake a, the grueling Eagle Guards the Eagle Guards trials but where previously the character would have would have been keen to undertake the trials just for the sake of that's what they believed in. Now it's, it's in the search for truth, but standing in her way, I say here, <laughs> this is really hard, but <laughs> the, the trick of the, the trick of the book, I guess, is that the, the, the scouts, the Ranger scouts are a male only um, force and our protagonist is a female, but has been masquerading as a male from the start, you, you find it out as the reader in the first page of the first issue. Uh, so I don't know why I was trying to keep it secret, but <laughs> her uh, <laughs> her oldest friend is Dez, who is the the son of the the scout leader. Uh, Dez has previously tried tried to kiss Kit, thinking not realizing, of course, that Kit was a was actually a female. Uh, and there's a, there's been a whole thing that's built up between them. As a result, they end up going head to head. This is about you know. There's only one of them can join the the Eagles Guards. It's 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 really interesting. It puts the protagonist through all sorts of this issue, all sorts of mental and physical challenges. You know, and, and builds towards a fantastic cliffhanger. I'm really fond of the the lead character Kit, uh, and more so as as the stakes get higher. Previously, Kit was just a. a straight down the line, obey the rules, value these things, but by the second issue, you know, Kit was changing their 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 opinion of, of the society they live in and and went from being the ultimate insider to the ultimate outsider in some ways. Um so yeah it's it's really interesting, really interesting and and the tensions really dialing up as we go. Um the whole thing's turned inside out really between issue one and issue three. A uh, lot of story, lot of story to tell, a lot of word to talk about, and and doing doing well and compressing it into a, a short run that aftershock has started to become, you know, known for. I guess.
0: Yeah, they're they're pumping out some great stuff at the moment. I mean, I've been, I I've spoke before about how I'm separating out the store into different sections for different publishers and so forth, and I've been getting a lot of aftershock stuff in, and the, the a lot of great stuff that. Maybe it's just slightly went under the radar a little bit. So mm. I think that'll be a, a go-to section for people because you've got great people working at Aftershock. You know, the likes it Donny Cates is working there. Garth Ennis is working there. There's there's some top-level creators. So this sounds like it'll be uh, another one to add to the collection. So
1: yeah, I mean, there's there's so much story inside Three Issues. So it's it's great stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to you reading it and, and letting me know what you think. Obviously, the thing that attracted me to it was, you know, that sort of, I don't know, the the idea of, Of uh, scouts and self sufficiency and that, you know, sort of feeds into not not the organisation per se, but you know the idea of that. So it's but it's it's gone in a totally different direction. Um, Very interesting.
0: Cool. So scouts honour three rounds off our honourable mentions. Then for the tenth of March, so we hit our picks of the week. This is an early contender for one of the best issue ones of the year. This was phenomenal and. Even if it is one of the worst title, titled titles of the year. What I mean by that, so what I'm talking about is The Joker number one. So this is a new uh, series ongoing, I believe, which is written by James Tinney and the fourth. It's art by GM March. Now, the reason I say it's badly titled, certainly based on issue one, is this should really be called Gordon. Uh, but the reason I say this is such a great title. First of all, this is probably the first one out of what I've read so far that delivers on the idea of Infinite Frontier, which is that everything that's happened in DC's history has happened. So in this, you've got nods to The Killing Joke. You've got nods to Barbara being put in a wheelchair. You've got nods to Batman Year One with that fledgling early relationship between Batman and Gordon. You've got nods to James Tinian's work where in A-Day, as we, we chatted about earlier in Infinite Frontier... Bean was killed, and now there's memorials popping up for Bean in like his his original country where he was from. Was he killed? Gordon's not convinced. Well, you know, Gordon's uh, a man who lives and dies by his hunches, so you know he. he, There is a mysterious character in this who has a scarf around his mouth and wears sunglasses and looks rather large. So we'll leave that Mm. up to you to decide. But the other thing about this was as well this falls under the purview for me of why has no one tackled this story before. So the idea the the basic crux of the first issue is that Commissioner Gordon is retired and he's obviously living with the ghosts of his past he's thinking about how his daughter was crippled and you know hurt in front of him he's thinking about how his son James was taken away from him that was something that happened in Joker War as well so again showing how all the timelines sort of fuse together But essentially there is a a female character introduced in this, uh, I believe her name is Chrisetta, and she offers uh, Gordon the chance to kill the Joker. So the idea is that he would be a hard gun to go after the man that has essentially tormented and abused his entire family. She talks to him about how, you know, despite all his years of service, how he has no money, ...to live a retirement... ...how he has nothing set up... ...he's just going to live out his days drinking... ...and it's just a really interesting... ...core concept of this man... ...who's in his late 60s... ...he spent his life devoted to the police... ...to try and establish law and order... ...and he's given a chance to... ...essentially right some wrongs I suppose in his mind... ...but the issue kicks off really really well... ...with this awesome prologue... ...of him sitting in a bar when he was younger... And he's talking to one of his former police chiefs, and it's all about discussing the idea of evil. Do you believe in evil in the world? And his old boss tells him this this story about this killer that he finds who was essentially devouring a nineteen year old girl, and he burst in on them, and you know the killer offered him a piece of her, you know, laughing and stuff. but he gives him this one piece of advice where he's like, "If you see evil, shoot it in the head." and this is clearly going to lead um, th- further down the line to a confrontation between Gordon and Joker. But this is but it's
1: uh, it's interesting though as well because at the time Gordon reflects that that he thinks that your man Ryan is warning him against turning other police officers, you know, dirty police officers in. Yeah. And it's not because that obviously that and that's the other where we talk about, you know, obviously Gordon's history in Chicago as you know, a, a cop who turned on dirty cops and, you know, da 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 and, and, and that, that history. But as as we quickly learned, it's not that he's warned him against at all.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, uh yeah, it's just such a great noir ex exploration of Gordon's state of mind. I mean, this this is not a kick in the ass away from Dark Knight Returns either. You know, street yep. gangs are starting to take over despite his years of, you know, loyal, valuable service to Gotham. Has it got any better you know, there's there's great art nods the whole way through. Like, there's one point he's sitting in a diner. It's almost a a representation of that, you know, classic, you know, yes, 40s yeah, yeah. gangster sitting in a, in a diner sort of thing, and he's sort of talking about how he can feel the Joker laughing at him, and he's sitting there with Barbara, and the Joker's pressed up against the window laughing at him. There's some great horror imagery of the Joker as this larger-than-life, you know, almost supernatural entity over Gordon's bed as he sleeps, and... You know, you really do f- see Gordon here as an absolute tortured soul. And this is a part, th- th- this is an opportunity for him to almost put all that to rest, you know, because he's he's approaching the end of his life. That's the other thing, you know, he's no longer giving his life to law and order, so to speak. So, this is a way to actually do it, make some money, and live out the rest of his life comfortably. But it's really interesting as well because it's all being set up that this whole A day was not the Joker's doing. And. You know, he sees this. You have the Joker. I'm guessing out in Florida, like back at. <laughs> yes, I felt that too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it he, turns out he's in he's in Belize. Is he not? Yeah. Oh. Unfortunately, I, I would like to know how he got the Gotham Gazette all the way out there. That's the one sticking point I have. But yeah, just I thought this was a really, really, really strong issue. I thought the art was outstanding. It's uh, Guillermo March working on this. You have a, an interesting backup story, which is all about Punchline and her effect in the media, uh, which is art by Mirko Andolfo, And it, it was strong enough, but it wasn't quite as strong as the as the first story. But what I see this as, like the cynic in me could say this, but it's a strong enough title on its own. In Tinian's run so far, artists have been alternating, Guillaume March and Jorge Jimenez, because of the fortnightly output of Batman. Mm-hmm. this is a way to put them both on a james tinney scripted batman title but it come out monthly so it's the same artist the whole way through mm. and i think that's very clever but yeah just I, i'm sure the joker will take more of an active role in this throughout the series but yeah I, I do think it should have been called gordon but oh what an issue loved it absolutely loved it
1: yeah no i, I agree i think the Gordon narrated it all the way through, and it was definitely that sort of hard-boiled detective sort yeah. of narration, uh, which was great. The idea that you know the guy was warning him at the start about his his boogeyman, if you find your boogeyman, and the idea that although Joker is Batman's arch-enemy, he's Jim Gordon's boogeyman.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, I love that as well. So that was that was kind of kind of cool. Um, yeah, it's just it's a great it's a great setup. If it's if it's if it's done right, I mean it could have it could have real good legs, you know, if it's and and there's no reason to suspect that, that the writer won't that James Tinney won't do it right, you know, or can't do you know, he definitely can, we know he can. I'm just interested to see what, what's coming. I mean I guess the last time I saw the Joker explored in this way, I've got a got a book up the stairs called The Further Adventures of the Joker. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, uh, a big a big chunky book and uh i've got a copy of it somewhere in the attic uh and that's you know that explored the different versions of the the joker's history and but it really was a was a study of the joker so i'll be interested to see this but i'm I'm nearly more interested to see the study of of jim gordon who's no longer commissioner gordon yeah you know and i mean you have to assume that eventually he will be commissioner gordon again at some some stage you know um but yeah it's uh He kind of is the perfect person to pursue the Joker, isn't he, in some
0: ways? (laughs) I mean, you you look at what the Jokers cost him over the years, you know, cost him a wife with Sarah Essen, you know, going back I mean that that's more of a deep Mm -hmm. cut, that one. But Oh no, I know that one too. You you've got the Joker crippling Barbara and you know, there's inclinations there of rape, although it was never explicitly shown. Uh you've got the fact that he during Joker War essentially caused James Gordon Jr. to kill himself. You think of how Gordon's had to see the Joker basically be like it going through the revolving door of Arkham and come back out again. And so it it's just, I think it's a brilliant exploration of Gordon's character. And again, uh, it delivers yeah. on that infinite frontier promise of all these stories, Dark Knight Returns, Batman year yeah, one, yeah, does, Arkham yeah. Asylum, uh, killing joke. And then Tedian's run all fused into this one story effortlessly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is.
1: Batman's a, as a as a supporting character in this he's a, not even that he's a background
0: character in yeah, some ways which i like um you know and
1: but uh, you know and also the way that gordon now he's left the police force has has a particular effectively what they're saying is a particular set of skills <laughs> that make him very useful for doing things that are totally illegal that are against the law you know so uh that's where he what he's grappling with does he does he go from being a representative of the law to being something a wee bit more akin yeah. to batman uh, which is which is interesting. He might be doing a good thing, but he's he's not doing it necessarily legally. The the, the group that have employed him are interesting. Um, Punchline's cult are more interesting than Punchline. Uh, I have to say that the media cult that she's created are, are more interesting from my point of view than the character herself. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was great. I thought it was brilliant. Um, looking forward to seeing a wee bit more Joker, I think. Or am I as Joker? Should Joker stay in the background of this? Yeah, don't
0: mind him being a, a background character. I mean, you and I are, are suckers for the hard-boi- hard-boiled noir. So therefore, that's why it works for us. But but even when mm. this was announced, like, a Joker series, do I really need this? But we all thought that about a Joker movie, and we were rather blown away yeah, by it. Yeah, so.
1: absolutely. So... Uh yeah like like detective horror sort of thing going on here maybe yeah
0: definitely psychological horror with, yeah. a, with a noir edge so yeah just if, if you're not on it jump on it it is fantastic so definitely definitely my pick of the week for 10th of march that is the joker number one so what have you got for us then as your pick of the week
1: i've got a first issue for you um it is blade runner origins number one from titan comics uh, writers, Kate Perkins, Mike Johnson, Mello Brown, and artists by Fernando Dagnino. And this is one for you, Alan, uh, for sure. Uh, I've been on the, the, the Blade Runner book for since it started. It was Blade Runner 2019. It became Blade Runner
0: 2029. You haven't touched it, really, have you, despite being
1: a huge fan of Blade
0: Runner? No, I, I read some of 2019 and enjoyed it. It just didn't grab me, so to speak
1: okay so this is going at it from the other end this is the world of blade runner 2009 uh this is where we discover the origins of the blade runners mm-hmm. uh the first blade runner the story of the first blade runner a a tyrell corporation scientist is dead the victim of an apparent suicide but we've got lapd detective cal he's called to Cal Moreau, He's called to investigate and he uncovers a Secret documents revealing a new kind of replicant and a conspiracy that could change everything. Um, so it, it it's just it, it's just great. I mean i i do i do enjoy the Blade Runner. I do enjoy the Blade Runner books. This starts this starts. You know, you talk about you hear the talk of about replicants being used for uh, war and 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 uh, off planet, you know, work and this sort of thing. Yeah. So this. This starts in the middle of a of an off planet war, the siege of uh, Calanthe in 2007, and uh, there's these two. Uh, you've got Cal Moreau and uh, and his his lieutenant or his captain, and uh, there's, they're they're outgunned, they're outmanned, they're outflanked. Uh, you know they're wearing spacesuits and they're firing lasery type things, and they're you know effectively the lieutenant tells Cal, away you go. He goes you you clear out the you know that room. He goes he's injured he goes I'll. he goes the tyrell corporation sent us this box i think it's time to break the glass they think it's a bomb they don't know if it's a bomb or not they're at that point there's only the two of them left of course he cracks open the box you know and uh it's set against that moment in 2007 It's set against cal in 2009 with his his brother-in-law his his sisters you know in hospital uh and, and that sort of thing i don't know what's going on there but there's just some lovely visuals of that Blade Runner esque landscape, you know the the landscape we've come to, the LAP the LA landscape we've come to know and Cal now gone from being an army an army guy, you know in that flashback, you know, that that that, that bookended this is now an LAPD detective. He's sent to investigate this apparent suicide and at, at Tyrell Corporation and you know how that goes and it's it's just it's you know the the yeah there, there's there's a whole mystery forming there's a whole conspiracy and a mystery forming uh and he he appears to be he appears to be in someone else's target but whenever we go back to the book end whenever we go back to the uh the uh the the, the book end of the the 2007 battle whenever they open the tyrell corporation box of course what's in it but to New Age replicants who come out and just butcher everybody around them, apart from the two people, you know, the, the tools that Tyrell has sent along. So it's it's just it's, it's setting up the the origins of of where we find ourselves in in Blade Runner, of where did where did Blade Runners come from? Where did it, why did it become a thing? And and Cal clearly is the the first of the Blade Runners, or will become the first of the Blade Runners. So I'm just you know it's that it's that setting. You know, uh, we're all fans of of the original movie, the Harrison Ford movie, and this this just opens up opens up the universe and a familiar universe in in a way that you've never seen before. You know, it, it's 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 new. It's effectively new Blade Runner material. Um, I just can't say I can't say more than that. It's a solid start to the story. It's very immersive. I'm really interested in the characters. I'm really interested to in the in the mysteries that are that are set up here. Despite the fact we're only an SUN, I only know the names of some of the characters. I'm really interested to see where they're going. Just a real a real satisfying addition. I think I'm really interested in 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 any addition to that Blade Runner canon, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: As long as it's respectfully done and it's well done. And this is well done. This it just looks great. It reads well. Um it's got that future noir feel about it. Um, I think you should probably think about picking this one up, Alan.
0: I think I could be talked into it. Uh, yeah, it'd definitely be interesting to see a pre Blade Runner world. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's and it's funny because you know it's set in two thousand seven and two thousand nine. You know, <laughs> which we we know we know didn't didn't happen you know but it's it's uh it just it just really is it's just it's it's lovely to see that you know that that sort of i guess that sort of prequely sort of stuff yeah. happen to yeah
0: well that's it i mean all Blade runner stuff has always been set after the original movie but yeah oh. you know because you sort of had that opening you know prologue uh credit sequence in the first Blade runner where it basically fills in the details about replicants and that's it but it's actually interesting to see it delved into in a little bit more detail so i might actually have to pick that up
1: yeah i mean i don't think there's any reason i don't think there's any reason that you shouldn't uh it's just a it's a great issue it's a great storyline we'll see we'll see this the origin you know then you'll have blade runner eventually it'll lead to ash in in the the blade runner 2019 2029 yeah. and then on to blade runner 2049 uh so yeah it's 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 great stuff It's great stuff titan are doing really good work i love to see a license used, used well well yeah yeah and and we're seeing that we're seeing that here that just that that uh, rainy future noir dark neon light you know it's just we were talking earlier on about the future
0: as imagined from the 80s <laughs> you know as class <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've convinced me. I will. Uh, I'm pretty sure I have a copy or two around the house, so I might just have to. I um, think. Yeah, I think you should unpack you should. one of those. So, cool. So that was Blade Runner Origins number one, which was Keith's pick of the week for 10th of March. So now that we are actually fully up to date, I can actually introduce. a what are we looking forward to this new Comic Day part? Which I've sprung on Keith completely, but I've picked out my three, and I know two of his are going to be anyway, even without him looking, but. Uh, I'll throw out my three anyway. So I've got one Marvel, one Indie, one DC that I'm looking forward to most. So for me, I'm really, really looking forward to Justice League number 59. Uh, this, again, is going monthly. And it's actually moving Brian Michael Bendis onto Justice League, along with David Marquez on art. And in following the, um, the standard way that DC are doing their titles now, there'll be a backup story. Which this is going to be how Justice League Dark is going to continue. So you have a backup story by Ram V and uh, Artvisor Manico. So a little blurb on this. Writer Mike, Brian Michael Bendis reunites with artist David Marquez for a new star-studded Justice League featuring Superman, Batman, The Flash, Hawkgirl, Aquaman, new DC powerhouse Naomi and is that Black Adam? Superman is leading the charge to reinvent the Justice League and at the same time a new cosmic power threat arrives from Naomi's homeworld to rule the Earth. And in the backup story, dark days lie ahead for the new Justice League Dark. Satana and John Constantine take a road trip only to discover horror around the bend as a friend and sometimes fool, is reborn in the fire. So look forward to that. Uh, my Marvel pick of the week I'm looking forward to is Thor number 13. We're hitting Prey part 5 of 6. I have absolutely adored this series so far. So, with this one, Avenged Donald Blake, Thor's Enchanted Axe Yarnbjorn and the World Tree. Not a good combination. With Thor still nowhere to be found, Blake is about to finish what he started, the end of Asgard. Meanwhile, Valkyrie manages to track down the long-absent Odin, but he is not the same old father he once was. Can Odin rise to the occasion and help his son and Asgard? And then in terms of indie books, this is one I've been looking forward to for a while. It was on the previews podcast. This is a new Dark Horse title called Orphan and the Five Beasts. This is a brand new number one, going to be four issues. This is written and drawn by James Stokoe. So a brand new Kung Fu epic from James Stokoe. Um, spurred on by her master's dying words, the adopted warrior Orphan Mo seeks to find and kill five former disciples who now threaten the land with corruption from their demonic powers. Part 5, Deadly Venoms, and Part Surreal, Grindhouse. Jim Stokoe brings his knack for ultra-detailed fantasy imagery and over-the-top violence to this classic tale of revenge. And now I'm curious to know if I've picked two out of Keith's three.
1: I believe you have. I believe you have. <laughs> so speaking of orphans, uh, my uh, my first pick, as you well know... Is Nightwing number 78 Uh, Leaping leaping into the Light Part 1? Nightwing is back, and his drive to keep Bloodhaven safe has never been stronger. But his adopted city has elected a new mayor with the last name Zuko. Uh, Anthony Zuko is the mobster responsible for the death of Dick Grayson's parents uh with nightwing uh when nightwing enlists bad help in investigating the politician bearing the same name as the man who murdered his parents she and details that will shock and funnel me change the hero we have got tom taylor and bruno redondo taking nightwing and what apparently is going to be the next stage of his evolution as a hero everything we have seen about this book looks phenomenal are you as excited about it as i am
0: absolutely you know any anything tom taylor i'm on board for straight away but you know, I chatted about it in the YouTube show about a little bit, about how this is a jumping on point. But I also look at this as for readers like yourself as a reward for the Rick Grayson years.
1: <laughs> you know, I was there. I'm coming to appreciate them as, 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 <laughs> as you know, we, we got through it. We got through it. But uh, my second choice, a Marvel book, Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, number one. Ding, ding, ding. By uh, Cy Spurrier. Uh, The greatest knight of all of them rides again. So, Sysberry recently did a King and Black, Black Knight tie in one shot, leading straight into this. Dane Whitman is the Black Knight and wielder of the magical ebony blade, but the blade's power comes at a terrible price. Dane forever bears the burden of its curse, an insatiable lust for blood and mayhem that constantly threatens to swallow its owner in darkness. Must that be Dane's fate? Following the battle against the King in Black, a reinvigorated Dane has a greater sense of purpose than ever before, but his sword is the key to a new enemy's evil plan, and running the Black Knight can prevent the coming death and destruction. This conflict spanning mythical Camelot to modern-day New York City will test Dane like never before and challenge everything he believes about himself, the Ebony Blade and the entire history of the Black Knight. Guest-starring The Avengers. So looking forward to that puppy as well and there's a bunch of other stuff on there I'm looking at, and I have to pick one, and I'm going to say, I did alright for you jumping this on (laughs) me
0: Yeah, I couldn't resist, I may have uh, blindsided you slightly with that, but I just thought it was worth pointing out that we were actually caught back up so uh, we can actually go back to our regularly scheduled programming
1: (laughs) And just for that, I'm going to pick one that disgusts you that I'm really looking forward to, and that is (laughs) Iron Man number 7 by Christopher Cantwell and Cafu I've told you how much I'm enjoying this Iron Man run. Just trust me and, and pick up the first trade. Uh, so this is Iron Man number seven. Iron Man and a small band of allies go interstellar as they pursue Korvac to the furthest reaches of the galaxy, even as the villainous, villainous android intellect tries to telepathically lure Hellcat and Tony towards his bizarre utopian visions. But after an unexpected left turn leaves Iron Man on a remote, uncharted planet, korvac might take the opportunity to blow shell heads vulnerable fans out of the stars at once and for all um this is this is just a fantastic run i think this is a this is this is going to be a, a character defining iron man run even up until now it is more than seven issues in so really looking forward to that there's a bunch of other stuff on there that i'm really looking forward to as well but uh we're limited to three so three we shall remain
0: limited to three indeed but just to jump on your Iron Man point with number seven, the trade is also out this week, which is Iron Man Volume One, which is called Big Iron, and that mm-hmm. is covering the first six issues. So, if you fancy jumping on the Iron Man, trades out this week and the next issue as well. So you should, you should. <laughs> I have the first four issues upstairs. I just haven't read them. I think I read the first one and enjoyed it, but I don't know. Just something about the character, as you well know, just does not do it for me so but anyway we are gonna leave it there uh that is us fully back up to date that was covering releases on the 3rd and 10th of march so we will be back next week with releases from the 17th and hopefully a return to our weekly scheduled programming so uh yeah that was uh that was a lot of fun uh i'm happy to help you celebrate your the start of your holiday good sir thank you very <laughs> much this was uh this was
1: a lovely way to begin
0: and uh, i will uh, leave it there so yeah guys keep an eye on the socials and, and all the rest well obviously if there's any confirmed news in the next few weeks regarding sort of reopening and in, in a click and click capacity or anything like that we'll, uh, we'll certainly keep you guys up to date but of course the website is fully operational and anything we can sort you guys out with just get in touch or pick up through the website so we will leave it there thank you very much for your company as always sir And good night to you, sir. And good night to all of our listeners. Thanks for listening.